This is a special presentation from UFC Fight Pass. Extra round. Broadcasting live from International Fight Week in Las Vegas. This is Extra Rounds. Now, alongside Pearl Gonzalez, here's your host, TJ DeSantis. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We are live at the edge of the red carpet here, International Fight Week in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is the UFC Hall of Fame ceremony, and we are live right here on Twitch and the Fight Pass Facebook page. Hey, everybody, TJ DeSantis, along with Pearl Gonzalez. I mentioned International Fight Week. It is really the biggest fight week of the year for the UFC. All the eyes in the world are focused upon Las Vegas. And I don't know what we did right, but we got this beautiful set, Pearl. Oh like, what is going on? Oh, my goodness. What an honor it is to be here, TJ. What a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. I am really looking forward to all of the guests that we will have on today. And we have a star-studded lineup headed your way. We've seen Hoist Gracie already in the building. He was the first inductee into the UFC Hall of Fame back uh, in 2003. Yeah. It, you know, that's one thing that I think is really important to think about when it comes to combat sports a lot of people have thought about mixed martial arts and really combat sports as a whole as sort of a, a fringe sort of niche sport. But when you have a Hall of Fame that has history and adds a story to really what you are watching and why you should pay attention and why you should care, that takes those sort of spectacle type of sports and turns them into something that are celebrated similar to baseball or, or football. And, you know, to be a Hall of Fame inductee it's got to be a huge honor we're going to talk to some of them but you know the idea of, of a ufc hall of fame this isn't something that a lot of people thought would have legs when, when it first started back in 2003. absolutely the evolution of the sport has been incredible i believe that we are in the best stage yet and and there's so much more to come tj and yes i mean there are there there are these athletes that have spent most of their life 40 years 50 years you know perfecting their craft and studying the this sport it's truly an incredible, incredible opportunity to be here. And that's the thing, too. When you look at the UFC and, you know, for all of the different eras, you know, this was a sport that for many years was off of cable television. And for it to survive and, and get through that and then to look back on those ages and celebrate them, you know, with, you know, we, we talked about Hoist Gracie. He's in the Pioneer Wing. Kevin Randleman is being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame this year into that Pioneer Wing. We can celebrate those days when really the rest of the world looked upon mixed martial arts as something that wasn't worth your time, that was barbaric and, you know, the proverbial human cockfighting. I like that the Hall of Fame gives perspective to not only the modern era, but the, the, the old era as well. And, and everything that it took to get to where we are today, what obstacles the sport has gone through, the athletes, you know, where they were back then to where we are today, it's incredible. No, it is. And, you know, speaking of the modern era, we are also celebrating uh, the newest member of the modern era uh, wing of the UFC Hall of Fame, and that's George Rush St. Pierre. George was the first sort of mainstream athlete that I think the UFC really was able to produce. This man signed deals with Gatorade and Under Armour. It was in a Marvel movie. Uh, and, you know, George, to get his time in the spotlight is something really special. And when I think about George St. Pierre, it's hard for me not to start up that GOAT conversation. Is he the greatest of all time? Hopefully we'll get a chance to speak with George and see if he thinks he's the greatest of all time. But his legacy, whether it's the GOAT status, it's definitely Hall of Fame worthy. And we will see him inducted here tonight. 
Yes, and I believe that he was one of the first athletes that really went out and traveled the world and, and looked for these instructors who had this amazing knowledge in this specific sport and, and studied it there and went there. And it was it was the very beginning of where we are today, where now you can cross-train. Now you can go to another country and learn a different part of the, the sport. And I believe that he was one of those that set the tone for that. And when you look at sort of his credentials and, and what it takes to become a Hall of Famer, look no further than the resume here of George St. Pierre, 26-2 and two as an MMA pro. Both of his uh, losses were to Matt Serra and Matt Hughes, which he avenged, by the way, by stoppage. This man came back and said, okay, you know, I, I lost, but was always one that wanted to finish uh, anything that was sort of left undone. And for George St. Pierre, he definitely avenged those losses to both Hughes and Sarah and did so in very devastating fashion, knocking out uh, Matt Hughes and, and, and then really putting a beating on Matt Sarah. And, you know, when you look at GSP, no doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer. That's not exactly how it, it works here in the UFC Hall of Fame. Like baseball, uh, you know, writers have to vote. Here, it's a lot more autonomous. The UFC can look at who is the most deserving and make that happen. And George St. Pierre, I mean, you, you could have put this man really in the Hall of Fame when he, you know, captured his welterweight championship for the second time. He was already Hall of Fame worthy long before his career was even done. Yes, absolutely. And, and he was such an intelligent fighter. Um, GSP, you know, you. I remember watching him when he would fight. He As soon as the fight was over, he'd instantly call his coach over and ask what did I do wrong in this move even though he won he was just a student of the art he really took took to mastering the sport and um, you know he deserves he absolutely deserves like you said to be in the Hall of Fame and tonight, the Hall of Fame ceremony is live on UFC Fight Pass at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. So as soon as we're off the air, you head over to Fight Pass and uh, sign on and, and watch uh, the entire ceremony. Uh, other uh, individuals getting inducted uh, tonight. We mentioned Kevin Randleman off the top. We played the Crow Cop and uh, Kevin Randleman fight. When you look at Kevin Randleman, we look at these high-level wrestlers that we have now, say like Daniel Cormier. Um, you know, we've even seen Brock Lesnar, who similar credentials as uh, Kevin Randleman. You know, those guys are the modern era wrestlers that have shined in the UFC. But without Kevin Randleman, I don't know if those guys ever even have the idea to make that, you know, uh, basically transformation into mixed martial arts. Kevin Randleman was one of those trailblazers that definitely said, look, if you're a high level wrestler, you might want to try out the UFC. Yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely a pioneer in this sport. Um, amazing personality, as well as his skills. Very talented and athletic man. Um, and you're right, he was the start of bringing in the wrestling and the high level wrestling and showing and proving just how important wrestling is in, in MMA. We are live here at the end of the red carpet as uh, the athletes are already making their way through. Uh, Forrest Griffin is in the house. We will talk to him. Uh, but also, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak with Mark Coleman, who was really the reason that Kevin Randleman was able to make it into the UFC. Uh, Mark was a wrestling coach at The Ohio State University where uh, Kevin wrestled at. And uh, basically, Coleman said, hey, look, I, I think you might have a, a knack for fighting. Why don't you come out and do this Valley Tudo tournament with me in Brazil? And Kevin Randleman was the type of guy that he was always up for a challenge. He was, you know, very intense and, and very game. And he said, sure, why not? Let's go do it. And uh, it worked out pretty well for him because he fought and uh, won a UFC championship before too long, really a pioneer. And, you know, again, I think about wrestling. We, we just saw um, uh, Gable Stevenson win the, the gold medal this year. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of questions about what he will do, whether he'll go into pro wrestling or, or maybe try his hand out at mixed martial arts. And again, if it weren't for guys like Kevin Randleman, 
Olympians wouldn't even think about this sport as honestly what it is, one of the greatest sports to try their hands on. Absolutely, and I believe it's one of the most important pieces to this game here. The ability to be able to stand up or take someone down and change the dynamic of the fight is so important. It, it's such a vital piece to mixed martial arts, and um, yeah, absolutely. Again, looking at the resume of one, Kevin Randleman, again, former UFC heavyweight champion, two-time NCAA Division I champion, with an asterisk there because the other year that he wrestled collegially, he was just the runner-up. You know, came in second. <laughs> Pretty damn good. Three years wrestling in, in the, you know, Division I uh, level, and, you know, you're, you're getting gold or, or silver. Um, that was a pretty damn impressive run by Kevin Randleman. Uh, Pride, Strike Force, and, of course, a UFC veteran, uh, which reminds me, you can watch almost all of Kevin Randleman's fights right now on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, defeated Maurice Smith in his UFC debut at UFC 19, which is just really unbelievable for so many reasons. Uh, tonight, we will honor the monster Kevin Randleman here in Vegas when he is inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. We will also talk about uh, Mark Ratner, who is a man that doesn't probably get enough sort of uh, shine from the uh, casual fan, if you will, in, uh, in in mixed martial arts, because you know, without Mark Ratner, I'm not sure the UFC would have made it through the trenches. When Mark Ratner came in to be, um, you know, the the vice president of regulatory affairs, he was the executive director of the Nevada Athletic Commission, which is by far the most respected athletic commission in the planet. Right. And he stepped away from that, being the executive director, to work for the UFC. I, I, I hope we can talk to Mark because his family and friends had to be like, what are you doing? Why are you leaving the highest office in combat sports to literally go try to you know, shed the narrative that this is a sport that wasn't legal in most uh, of the country or even allowed on television? I mean, I think that that goes to show just how passionate this man was about sports. And, and he obviously saw the vision of, of where this sport could go and where we are today. And, you know, like the, the, the obstacles that he's overcome. I have so many questions for him. Like, what was it like to go state to state driving to, to try to get it legalized, right. the sport legalized? And so, yes, I hope we speak to him as well. I mean, we're talking about a sport that, you know, once upon a time was not even uh, illegal. Like, I mean, we're, we're, the UFC's going to New York here in a couple of months. Um, this was this a state that basically said, no, you are not welcomed here. We do not allow mixed martial arts here. Mark Ratner's the reason that Madison Square Garden is a must-see, you know, tour spot for the UFC year in and year out. Absolutely. And I mean, not, let's just look past United States. I mean, we're international now. The, the fights are all over the world. And he's really worked very hard to, to have those fights, to allow these fights in other countries. And I'm, I'm curious to see what, what does he see, foresee in the future for the UFC? Yeah. And, you know, this is a sport that is still very much evolving. I mean, this is a, a sport that hasn't been in every country in the world. And that is why Mark Ratner, who goes into the Hall of Fame tonight, is still very much an active member of the movement of mixed martial arts. I think we forget about the movement of this sport because it is so accepted and, and mainstream here in the United States. But, you know, like you said, without Mark Ratner, we don't get this big here in the States. Without Mark Ratner, maybe we don't get to, you know, the other international destinations that the, the UFC goes to year in and, and year out. And, and that's one thing that is exciting too, because while even the acceptance becomes more common, 
the rules are still changing. We're always talking about rule changes. And, you know, just over the last year, we saw the implementation of replay here in the state of Nevada. And you've got to believe that Mark Radner's at the core of that, always looking at what the UFC can do to get better and, you know, maintain that high bar, high level of excellency. Absolutely. To constantly regulate, to make sure that, you know, the fights and, and the sport is is you know, regulated in a, in a way and, and finding ways to improve the sport. I mean, he's he's such a vital role in in, in the UFC. 100%. And uh, don't forget, uh, we are live here. Uh, it is extra rounds at the red carpet of the UFC Hall of Fame ceremony. We'll be chatting with some of the luminaries. Uh, but we're also going to be back on Saturday, pre and post UFC 266. It's International Fight Week. It is the crown jewel. Uh, I mean, you're dancing. I'll dance with you because <laughs> it's that damn good of a card. Yeah! Uh, two titles on the line. Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight crown against Brian Ortega. And then we'll see Valentina Shevchenko defend her flyweight championship uh, against Lauren. Lauren Murphy. We'll take a look at the odds coming up here in a little bit, but I mean, this week couldn't get any better. I mean, that's really the, the best way to sort of end uh, this week, and uh, I still can't get over this awesome set we have oh for Oh my her. goodness. Like, you what guys, is happening? You guys did such a great job. Shout out to to you, to TJ. I mean, you are TJ. I'm TJ. That's me. Frankie, Steve, I got my names mixed up earlier this week. Let's not go there, but you guys made it look incredible. It no, looks so good. 100%. You know, we, uh, we have this great little team, and it's really our pleasure to get out and uh, you know be with the people because that's the thing about this sport. One thing that I think we really learned over the last you know 18 months with COVID is this is a sport that th thrives off of energy. And you and I, we do this show a lot. I mean, you're sometimes in a RV, and other times <laughs> it seems like you're you know like stealing Wi-Fi from a McDonald's. Uh, but we really are broadcasting to the world, and for us to get out here and you know obviously be face to face with the athletes, it's great, but. I can't wait to see some fans, you know, and, and just talk to people that are coming out to one of the biggest fight cards of the year and, and feel that excitement and energy that we're going to have inside T-Mobile Arena. Absolutely. How refreshing is it to be back in a crowd, to, to have the the energy, the, the the crowd noise? Like, I mean, it's it's amazing. There's no other feeling like being in an arena full of people on an amazing night like we have on Saturday night. Yep, the uh, anticipation, it's palpable. Uh, my hotel overlooks T-Mobile Arena. I posted a photo of it uh, on Twitter and, you know, just seeing that building. It, there's something special about arenas, especially like you, you can almost feel the energy that is on the horizon. And, and I got that feeling the minute that I came to town here uh, for International Fight Week. And uh, it's going to be a fun one. And we roll on here uh, live from the red carpet. It is extra rounds. Uh, we are getting ready to uh, hopefully, I think, chat with uh, our first uh, guest. Come, come around here. So we've got MMA royalty. It is Hoist Gracie, the first ever inductee into the UFC Hall of Fame going back to uh, 2003. Hoist, when I play the, uh, the, the highlight here, we're going to go old school and... Uh, Look at look at this fight with Art Jimerson. I mean, this man is wearing one glove hoist. What was going through your mind? Like, obviously, you're there to prove a point, but could you pick a better opponent to prove a point than with a boxer with one boxing glove on? Well, because he was wearing one glove, it doesn't make him not danger. And the the the, the, the reason why he put one glove on it was because he was going to jab me so much to keep me away, and he didn't want to break his hand. So, but on the same time, I'm thinking. What mistake is what kind of mistake is that? Because he can't grapple. Maybe he forgot this it's an MMA fight. Right. So yeah. let's, let's be honest. I don't think Art Jimerson knew what the words MMA were. He knew I was going to fight and, and came out and, and tried to fight you. But on the beginning, it was a fight. 
it wasn't people were not concerned about they were trying to do their own style so he was a boxer so he was trying to keep people away from him he didn't believe that anybody can get in a clinch the the question that i have for you hoist is when i look at you know the, the success of the ufc and, and and what happened it was obviously initially you know put together by horian to really be sort of a, a paid program for gracie jiu-jitsu and definitely proved its point but when you look at what the ufc is today and the sport of mixed martial arts as a whole did you really see the sport turning into the juggernaut that it is actually what if i lost so i never thought about that so actually. It, it wasn't exactly a, a commercial for horror for the great right. jiu-jitsu it was more of a quest that my family had my family had a quest back in brazil and he just brought the concept to america a quest of which style is the best style for mar of in between the martial arts because the karate guy said that he's the best they got the best style and then the kung fu guy comes over and says, no, no no my style is the best there's only one way to find out is take the rules take the time limit the way division and let them fight did you ever think about losing honestly because like you saying what if i lost that's literally <laughs> the first time i've ever entertained that if if I thought about losing, I wouldn't walk in that cage. Right. So there was no doubt that not, I mean, there was no doubt that I was going to win. I, it happened that I won. Right. But no, I had no doubt that I was going to lose. I was, that did not cross my mind. The what ifs. So today, where, where jiu-jitsu is and the vital role that it plays in the sport, did, did you ever imagine jiu-jitsu to be here where it is today? Coming from Brazil, when we first when Horton first got to America and I got here, after him, it was like, how come nobody knows who Elio Gracie is? My father, who, who, how come nobody knows the style of jiu-jitsu that we have? So it's almost like Baby Ruth going to Brazil and people be like, who is he? Right. We don't play baseball in Brazil. So people be like, yeah, we don't know about him. So we felt the same way. So yes, it was like an education program. Wow, it is incredible. I mean, Gracie is the, like the pioneer. When you think of jujitsu, you cannot not talk about jujitsu without bringing up Gracie. How hard, you know? How difficult? What challenges did you guys go through over these years to to get to get where you are today? Like I said, it was like an educational program because it's a it's a martial arts, a self defense martial art, but it's not it's not. Martial art in general was not made to score points and and uh, like to be in, on on, a, on a, in tournaments. It was made to defend yourself in a street fight situation. So yes, it was a lot of education that we had to do. Wow, incredible! Well, Hoist, we got to let you go. It's a big night here at the uh, UFC Hall of Fame, and we appreciate you stopping by for a few moments. Thank you. There he Thank is, you. Hoist Gracie, the legend, stopping by extra rounds, and again looking at the uh, resume that this man turned in. You know, just uh, really royalty is Hoist Gracie. Uh, Eleven UFC wins, all of which pretty much came, by the way, uh, consecutively. This man won tournament after tournament. He won uh, three of the first four UFC tournaments and uh, did so in, in really exciting fashion. When you look at what Hoist Gracie did, you know, the man in the gi is really uh, an iconic symbol, like you said. Like, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, it's a brand name in, in so many ways. Like, obviously, the, the style is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but 
people know exactly what you mean when you say Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and for good reason. Uh, Hoist put himself, his family, and the entire martial art of BJJ on the map. Absolutely. TJ, I remember, you know, being young, 11 years old, competing in these jiu-jitsu tournaments, and, and a lot of them were predominantly run by, by the Gracies, and to see where it is today, I mean, it was maybe 10, 10 to 15 people in these tournaments. Today, there's hundreds of people in these tournaments. I mean, it's just incredible how much they've gone through, really, to help evolutionize this particular part of the sport. When I look at Hoist, and I mentioned that Guy, and just the entire vision, like, people remember Hoist for a variety of reasons. One, he was making everyone tap out, choking them out, or, or ripping their limbs off. But also, two, he was probably the most unassuming figure on the entire card when he would compete in those tournaments. And that's what was so amazing about it, because Hoist, I think, made everyone at home realize, look, I don't need to be the biggest guy in the room. I don't need to be the meanest looking guy. It doesn't matter if my tattoo game isn't on point. If I go out and put the work in the gym and, and study the technique, I too can find myself being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And I mean, that's what Hoist Gracie did. He said, look, I don't care who you are. You can be a successful martial artist. Absolutely. He did. He put that being on there. He put, you don't have to be so aggressive and vicious. You can be calm and composed, which is very much what jiu-jitsu is. You have to be calm. You're, you're playing a game of chess here. You're setting up two to three moves for the submission, you know, three, four moves ahead of time. And so I think even just speaking with him, the energy he has, he's a very well-composed, calm man. And, and he brought that part into the sport. You don't have to be a vicious, crazy. To, to be a mixed martial artist. You can you can also be very intelligent, patient, and calm. 100%. Uh, we are live at the red carpet. Uh, the UFC Hall of Fame ceremony is headed your way live on UFC Fight Pass at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. That's 10.30 in the East. It is presented by Toyo Tires. Uh, a live look in now at our uh, red carpet. You can see uh, off in the distance there a little bit is Forrest Griffin. Hopefully we'll uh, chat with Forrest uh, in a little bit. He's still very much a mainstay uh, in the UFC and you know that's one thing too that I think you know, we talk about Hoyce who's still you know not an active fighter anymore but an ambassador of the sport and that is one thing when I look at this you know title this honorary title of being a UFC Hall of Famer it really cements your legacy as someone that not only left a mark on mixed martial arts but also continually is pushing the sport uh, today and when you see Hoist Gracie like I mean we only had three or four minutes with him I could have talked to the man for two hours absolutely me too I mean you had to tell me to, to cut it because I have so many questions but you're right I mean it shows how important how vital these these athletes are to our sport today all right well I'm looking to my left here and I see a very uh, handsome man and I, I think we <laughs> might uh, might chat with him here uh, in a moment but uh, that of course is uh, boss Rutten. you got a couple seconds boss can you come up come All on right. over here boss Rutten, of course uh, yeah I say he's handsome because I mean it's literally the man's name El Lapo boss Rutten, kind enough to uh, give us a few moments here at the UFC Hall of Fame we are Talking today, boss, about Kevin Randleman, who's getting inducted uh, tonight into uh, the Hall of Fame. And, and Kevin was an icon for a variety of reasons in mixed martial arts and, and no one knew that anyone better than yourself. You yeah. shared uh, the octagon with this man and, and really had a fight that people are can still honestly debating about who won that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, very close. What was it like fighting Kevin Randleman? It's fighting a monster, like they, like the nickname is. You know, he's uh, the strongest guy I ever felt. Right. Uh, it's very hard to move once he was in my guard. It uh, was just no movement. And just uh, 
just an explosive guy. You know, all over the years, you know, with the the the, the Mirko Krokop knockout, you know, I was there commentating and the Fedor slam on his head. And I mean, the, w when you see this guy, he has so much athletic abilities. It's just bizarre. I remember him jumping up that by itself, like he has a four feet vertical leap. I mean, his feet will come here. You have no clue. It's no, it's crazy. But could he do the splits when he got to there? That's the question. You know, that's the, you know because the real guy, you know, right, right, knows right, how to right. do splits. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know that. So, <clears throat> hey, I think last time we spoke, you actually told me that he was the one that gave you the nickname El Wapa. Yes, yes, we were doing a breakfast at the Tokyo Hilton in Shinjuku in, uh, in Japan, and. Uh, it was always happening there because all the fighters would come together. You know, we put the tables together at the breakfast. It's an unbelievable breakfast with the time difference. Uh, we were also hungry. We wake up early. So five, six o'clock, we were already waiting. The light opens up, we go inside. And we always put our tables together and people start telling war stories, you know how it goes, and uh, jokes and having a good time. I was sitting there with Ken Shamrock, Tina Shamrock, his ex-wife, who's from Mexico, and I'll come back to that later. Uh, Coleman, I think the, the fight professor was there, and then Kevin Renneman, of course. And suddenly, we're talking about the movie, The Three Amigos. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite comedies. And uh, I, there's a really ugly bad guy in the movie, and his name is El Wapo. So I look at Tina Shamrock and say, hey, you're from Mexico. Yeah, I said, what does it mean, El Wapo? She goes, that's a handsome. I said, a handsome? I said, that's funny. Because I used to call myself the most handsome fighter in NHB, remember? Right. No holds barred. Right. That's what we called it before MMA. And uh, that was it. When Kevin got up from the table, he said, okay, Wapo, I'll uh, see you later. And then Coleman started doing it, and everybody started doing it, and suddenly, I was El Wapo. I mean, it's sort of that you, you know, gave yourself the nickname, but then it, it caught on. And, and that's really what a good nickname is. When you don't have to like tell everyone, hey, call me this. Yeah, oh, no, that's you know? the worst. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, let's, uh, let's take a look, though, and, and just honor you know, Kevin tonight a little bit. Because you know, being a Hall of Famer, you are yourself a UFC Hall of Famer. You know, Kevin is, is obviously past, but this is really the ultimate sort of homage that I think the UFC and really anybody could, could pay Kevin, and he's very deserving of this honor. He does, he is. You know, this is a guy who was never out of the fight. This is a guy, you make one mistake, he's gonna knock you out or, or knee you in the face or, or slam you, like he did with Fedor Emelianenko. Because right. at the time, the world's greatest fighter he was, you know, and then just the way he slammed him. So yeah, it, it, I mean, I wish he would still be here. The wrestling, yeah. the pro wrestling that he did, how he did the things that he did for kids, for kids wrestling, and all from his heart. You know, no money, no nothing, training a whole bunch of kids. I mean, he was really loved. Yeah, no, uh, the Little Monsters, which was that uh, program that he had where he, uh, you know, volunteered and, and really made a difference. And that's the one thing that Kevin talked about. He was very honest about, you know, his background and how much wrestling really played a part in his his life. And that's one thing that martial arts really is to not only people like Kevin, but yourself. It's it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of, you know, being comfortable as, as you go through life. And Kevin encouraged that and all sorts of uh, youth and, you know, really was an icon for what wrestlers could do as well. When you start with wrestling, you can also carry it over in MMA. Yeah. And, and and what he does, just not for the kids, but for everybody. I mean, how many people did he help? I mean, I remember this guy was uh, going to commit suicide. Right. And he literally, he asked him for his telephone number, calls the guy, you know, and they became friends. I mean, he was doing everything for everybody. So, yeah, that was a hard uh, pill to swallow uh, when he passed away. It was like, dude, I remember him telling me a story. He crashed his uh, SUV car, flew out of the window, yeah. lands on the bottom, car lands on top. He just pushes it off. And he walks away. Sure, he had a whole bunch of stitches in his head, but he walks away. And then you see the staph infection right. with that hole in his chest. And you go, this to people, they're going to go, that's not real. I go, it's not real? Look it up, Google it. Right. You know, I mean, so you, know, you think that, and then he dies from pneumonia. And you go, how is that even possible? Right. A, a bullet can't stop that guy. Yeah. 
And, and also, too, you know, looking at Kevin, obviously, you fought him. He was a hell of a fight, tough opponent. But, you know, talking to anybody that was close to him, as hard of a guy he was to face in the octagon, he was even more intense as a, a supporter, an advocate, someone that was a true friend. He is. You know, he's, he's 100% on board. But then is this. He's 100% in or 100% out. Yeah. And he's always busy. I remember there was this time when we were with Elizabeth and a few other people. Everybody went out. We were at San Jose after a strike force event. And we go and we sit outside. We said, let's go to the park. Let everybody party. We're just going to have meaningful discussions. Aww. Right? Then we just started talking. I remember I was in this deep conversation with uh, Elizabeth. And I see this movement from the side of my corner of my eye. And he's doing jumping jacks. This is 1.30, 2.30 in the night. He's doing jumping jacks. Oh because he was so energetic yeah. all the time. Big smile on his face. It was awesome. Oh my god. Bosh, one question before we let you go. So TJ's been giving me this crazy look here and I just need to know just in case, how do I how do I defend that? How do I how do I deal with him? Crazy look? Yeah, he's looking That's at me kind of crazy. This is the microphone. It's okay. always a great distraction. You know, just this already gets attention, and then you go right for the pills. Oh, for okay. a woman, go for the pills. Okay. You know, everybody underestimates. She doesn't need to go <laughs> to that level. She can just hit me in the face and I'll fall down, boss. You don't need to teach her that. <laughs> okay, you know? so the microphone. You hear that, TJ? Right. Always use a distraction. Phone, whatever it is, water. You can spray it in his face. Just throw it. People, automatic reflexes. This, and there's your shot. Okay, got it. Thank well, you. Well, I need, very I need welcome. The boss written uh, street fighting uh, instructional is one of my favorite bits of uh, <laughs> Me too. You know, educational uh, programming, but also comedic programming as well. Dude, I had so much fun. I was a writer one time. He wrote and he said, um, I don't know for sure, he said, but I, I believe that he made a video for the bad guy. <laughs> you know, because right. yes. it is so destructive. And the job, the amount of jobs that I had from that video, I mean, the video games, the Cartoon Network, right. I was the fitness awesome. guru. I mean, hundreds of jobs just because they watched that video. I tried to contact that guy, but he never was, uh, reacted, never responded back. Because otherwise I said, go to my store, right? choose whatever you want, yeah. I'll send it to you because you gave me a big payday. Maybe you can get that, uh, that body action system, you know, if he's if, watching this. If you know, he's watching it. Time to get, get on it. Let's you do know? it. You're going to get him. I just uh, I just put in Grand Theft Auto the other day and I forgot that you were in that video <laughs> oh, game. Oh, oh my God, it's amazing. One of my favorite uh, right. things I ever did. Uh, boss, I appreciate the time, sir. Enjoy welcome, uh, International Fight Week. And, uh, Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. There Catch he me. is, El Wapo, Boss Rudin here on Extra Rounds as we roll on from International Fight Week. Again, kind enough to uh, pay homage to Kevin Randleman, uh, Boss Rudin, very tight with, with Kevin over the years. And that's one thing, too, that I think people, Pearl, don't necessarily think about uh, in mixed martial arts is obviously you can be an opponent today, but also be friends tomorrow. This is a sport that creates bonds. and. You know, especially at the lower regional level, you'll find a lot of uh, opponents um, actually end up training with one another because while this is a sport and you're fighting each other and, and you obviously want to prove to be better than them on that night, this is a sport that really brings people together and, and unifies them. And obviously for Boss and Kevin, uh, you know, the, the time they shared in the octagon was just a uh, gateway to the time that they would share later in life as, as friends. Absolutely. We talked about this several times on the show. You know, you, you do, you develop a relationship with your opponent. Um, you spend weeks thinking about this opponent. You study them. You, you look into them. You go to sleep thinking about them. You wake up. And... You know, it is amazing that you can turn some of these opponents that into friends and, and, you know, depending on who won, you were the better fighter tonight. How can you help? And, and then we come together as a community because we are. We're a very small community. And so it is. It's amazing that you can you can compete against someone and then and then be friends with them. 100 percent. And, uh, you know, let's take a look at some of the uh, highlights of Boss Rutten's career. Former King of Pancras, really uh, a man again that could do those splits when he would jump up in the air and, you know, uh, is an icon in the martial arts world. And, you 
you know, he a former UFC champion, King of Pancrase, as I mentioned, uh, an icon as a commentator in, in Pride Fighting Championships. And as I mentioned, just as a personality, you know, being the, the outspoken man that he is, uh, you know, he was just one of a kind and, and definitely a Hall of Famer to uh, say the least. But Pearl, I, I cannot tell you how stunned I am that Boss suggested that you should go below the belt when... <laughs> Like, I mean, first off, what are you ever going to need to defend yourself against me? Like, you can just look at me and I'll run in the other direction. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pearl. But I, I guess the microphone to the, the pills, as he put it. I was hoping he was going to give me some, like, open palm strikes. Right. You know, tips. pancreas days, yeah, right? Yeah, man. His fights were amazing back then. Yeah. Um, Pancrase, by the way, the entire library over on UFC Fight Pass, it's amazing what you can do. And we see it with combat jiu-jitsu as well. Yes. I mean, don't call it a slap because right. a, a well-executed palm strike, it can knock you out. I mean, how many how many opponents did Bosch knock out with an open palm strike? A lot. Exactly. I mean, it was it was incredible the way he used utilized those strikes. Um, and I was hoping he was going to do it on you, but he didn't. Well, thankfully, he didn't. Um, <laughs> Please don't ask him again. It is a long week here at International Fight Week, by the way. Uh, taking a look over at the uh, red carpet here. Uh, Forrest Griffin still uh, uh, in the middle of a mass of people. Obviously a very, uh, you know, favorite. He's a favorite personality when it comes to, uh, you know, mixed martial arts and the media and fans. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to uh, chat with Forrest here uh, in a little bit. But let, let's go back to Boss for a, a brief moment and, and just take a look at uh, sort of his... Uh, resume, uh, because I, I want to, you know, put more light on it. Because again, Boss fought in a time where, you know, there weren't the the amount of fans that there are uh, today. He is a member of the uh, UFC Hall of Fame and the Pioneer Wing. Again, former King of Pancrase, Pride FC color commentator, was there for some of the biggest moments in mixed martial arts history. Even when he wasn't fighting, when he was on the mic. Um, and also, too, he was the first Dutch-born athlete to become a UFC champion. The other is uh, Jermaine Durand to me. So only two uh, from the Netherlands have cashed in on UFC gold and Boss Rutten was the first to do it. And, you know, I, I called him handsome and I'm going to stick by it, but may maybe you're more uh, credentialed to say if Boss uh, lives up to the nickname. I think he does. He's a handsome man. Yeah, he is. He, and back in the day, he was absolutely. And he has an incredible personality. Is he, is he a pioneer, DJ, as far as moving into the commentary and moving into the TV world? I, I think so. And, and that's the thing, too, is, is Boss is a guy that you mentioned has done television and film. Yes. He's not just someone who's been pigeonholed into you know, combat sports. Like He is a, a personality that can shine when given the opportunity. And uh, he definitely has done that uh, over the years. Now, speaking of gentlemen that can shine, when they're given the opportunity. This uh, next guest needs no introduction. He is uh, the season one winner uh, of the Ultimate Fighter uh, in the light heavyweight division. It is uh, Forrest Griffin, kind enough to join us now here on Extra Rounds. Uh, we're at the edge of the uh, red carpet here, Forrest, and I, I might say that uh, it took you a long time to get to the end of that carpet. People are still big fans of Forrest Griffin. Well, I just talk a lot. I'm very verbose. I don't know if you have this, but a uh, large vocabulary. What can I say? Dang, <laughs> man. How did you come upon that uh, large vocabulary? Uh, that's a great question. Um, foreign language movies? Oh, yeah? You have to read the subtitles. Okay, I like that. Kind of kidding, kind of not kidding. What, what, I mean, what's your favorite film? Like, what do you watch? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, it's, well, honestly... Fight Club's one of my favorites. Okay, so I like that. Good. What's the first rule of Fight Club? I can't remember. Okay. They didn't tell me the rules. Oh, okay. I didn't know there were rules. <laughs> I think I there mean, are is rules. It, is it no eye poking or no strikes of the rule? I, I can't no remember. I have no idea. It's more than 
Um, you know, one thing that I, I, I do want to talk about with you is uh, sort of life after fighting. You, you uh, fall I thought in... you were going to say personal hygiene. No, no, no. You need well. to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. You are looking rather dapper, know. by the Thank way. You, you are. What are you wearing, yeah. by the way? Um, I... Uh, the best Sears you can get. Get out of here. <laughs> it looks no smooth. Idea. I have no idea. Last time I wore it, though, um, I was a wedding efficient. So. Really? Like, wow. are you like right. the second time I've ever worn this. That's amazing. What, what sort of credentials do you need to be a, a uh, wedding efficient? It's an online course. Yeah. Okay. A, Interesting. Is it a course that requires more than like a credit card or? Uh, not really. Okay. Mm. Not really. It's actually like not that easy because you have to file a lot of paperwork. I bet. My wife did all that, if I'm being honest. Oh, man. Shout out to her. Teamwork makes a dream work. <laughs> yeah, Amen. exactly. Um, one thing that I do know that you are watching, you're watching fights from all over the world. You're, uh, what's, the, what's the title? The Vice President of Athlete Development? Yes, yes. Um, you're not afraid to sit in front of the television or computer and do your homework and, and watch athletes all over the world uh, try to turn themselves into UFC talent. Well, no, especially like, you know, Asia and now, you know, um, the, the South America market. Uh, you know, those are, I mean, those are hubs the UFC is trying to build in. We want to put performance institutes there. Um, so, yeah, you kind of need to know who's good, what, what their training habits are, what, what, you know, backgrounds they're strong at. Like uh, in China, there's a lot of high level wrestlers. You know, they kind of, there's really not a lot to do in China if you're a good wrestler, except being the Olympics. So there's only eight guys and gals in the Olympics, right? So what do all these rest of these people that have wrestled for years and years and years do with themselves? Well, you come over and you fight MMA. Yeah. We've really seen a, an explosion, I think, in the level of talent in China over the last five, six, seven years. I mean, when, when uh, I think it was Tia Trin Zhang was one of the first uh, fighters yeah, from in China yeah. to fight. Well, like The Wolf, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen so many and more. That, and now he has a very successful Jimmy coaches out of, and he, you'll see him in the corner of a lot of those guys. Yeah, and that's great. And, you know, this is a, a sport that has gone through global expansion. It's, you know, really different from, you know, when, when you were fighting your Dan Severn back in the day. Um, Mark Ratner goes into the Hall of Fame I get tonight. it. I'm old. Yeah, it's very so, different. I mean, that's what happens well, when you're Hall of Famer. Well, speaking of old, Mark Ratner, shout oh, out. Okay, there we go. Um, well, let's talk about Mark a little bit because, I, honestly, Forrest, I don't know if we're here tonight without people like Mark and the hard work that he put in to make the sport, you know, Absolutely as big as not. It is. Absolutely not. Yeah, you. I mean, none of us are here tonight without Mark. It was one of their, one of their, you know, first and most important hires. You know, the Lorenzo said that many times. So, um, yeah, I mean, Mark's a stud. New York, that's that's Mark Radner. You know, yeah. and now France. Um, I just think it's weird that you know fighting is not legal in places. That's that's weird to me. I mean, what's wrong with those people? I agree. No, right. Fighting is life. Fighting I, I hear you say it in a film all the time. Fighting's life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally, I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> like fighting life. Ball is life. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I was chatting with, um, I can't remember who it was, but they talked about you buying a Tesla. And apparently this is the first car you bought post Ultimate Fighter. You were driving that yeah, Scion yeah, yeah, literally yeah. for like two decades. Yeah. Well, I got a I got a deal with United Nissan where they gave me a car for two years. Okay. So I gave my father-in-law the Scion, and then when the I had to give the car back to the dealership, I had no car. So I kind of panicked, bought a car. Okay. Like I had like no no means of transportation. So I was just oh god, and I just bought a car one day. You didn't want to just like live in your office at UFC HQ. Well, you know, I do own a bicycle, but I was like, man, I'll never make it. I'll never make it. <laughs> you I'm not in good enough shape. Yeah. I got one. Oh. But still, it's, it's really it's too slow. long. And I don't know where you're from, but the roads in Vegas, not the place to bike. 
I just think it's kind of hot here. It's know? also kind of hot. Um, you know, talk about you know your involvement with athlete development with the UFC. Obviously, you're you're no longer an active competitor. Do you still satisfy that itch by you know putting your effort into building the sport for the future? Yeah, you know, I have to like pull myself back and, and make myself realize just how fortunate I've been and how blessed I've been to have a job where I still get to do the thing I love and maybe, you know, make some positive impacts on it from where I am now. You know, if you think about it, like that's a, you think about like, you know, a professional fighter, professional athlete, at some point that dream will end and you're like, oh geez, what do I do? What's my next great passion? What do I do with myself? What can I, you know, what can I give to the sport I love, etc. Well, we appreciate you stopping by and giving us a few uh, minutes here on International Fight Week. And, uh, Forrest, you and I are going to have to get together on extra rounds again and watch some strange things like we did earlier this we year. We don't have to, but we should. I think we have to. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful you. Evening. Right, thank you. Forrest Griffin, kind enough to uh, stop by here and chat about uh, a variety of things. And, you know, and I think about that, too. The evolution of mixed martial arts, you know, the way that it's growing it's growing in a manner that is much more informed because of people like Forrest Griffin with their background. Because, you know, that old saying takes one to know one. You know, when you're a fighter, I think you can identify attributes in up and coming talent easier than, say, someone, no offense to analysts or MMA media, people like me. And, you know, one thing that I think that Forrest clearly takes pride in is identifying and helping foster that talent and bring them up and identify it so you know athletes all over the world can get to the big show and fight in the octagon absolutely it's it's kind of like almost like an internship you have to get your hands on on the sport you have to you know really dive into it and and try some of these different skills that are needed to to be an mma athlete to really understand what we go through you know what we're learning how and and the whole career how the span of your career goes and who who better than forrest griffin exactly and uh, definitely a hall of fame caliber uh, individual is Forrest Griffin looking at some of the resume here obviously former UFC light heavyweight champion a Hall of Famer in the uh, modern era as well as the uh, fight wing obviously his fight with Stefan Bonner iconic for so many reasons uh, he won the ultimate fighter that night beating uh, Stefan by a very close decision uh, he's definitely won an incredible amount of bonuses as well five fight of the night bonuses uh, in just someone that was must see TV and as we mentioned today occupies that role as UFC vice president president of athlete development uh pearl I, I need to figure out how we can get like vice president added to our title like can we be the vice presidents of talking on extra rounds or something like how do we make ourselves more i mean i feel pretty damn important with this you know backdrop and this whole setup but i think we need to like put pen to paper and come up with some sort of title for ourselves here okay yeah i'm, I'm down for that can i be the queen okay you can be the queen of fight pass thank you i like it all right perfect um, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, UFC uh, 266 coming up. Let's actually take a look at the uh, odds for UFC 266. Um, two title fights uh, on the line. Uh, we see Alexander Volkanovsky defending his uh, title uh, for the second time, taking on Brian Ortega. It's nice to see Volko in a, in a fight that doesn't have Max Holloway. No offense to Max Holloway, but you know he's had to settle that business to really solidify himself uh, as the uh, champion. Uh, he takes on Brian Ortega as a minus 160 favorite. Valentina Shevchenko, a huge favorite uh, to Lauren Murphy. 
um, looking at uh, minus 1375 to uh, plus 800 to come back on Lauren Murphy. Uh, pretty much even money on Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. Uh, Jessica Andrade, the minus 280 favorite to Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Curtis Blades, the minus 320 favorite to Jarzinho Rosenstrike. DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you plenty of ways to get in on the action during UFC 266. For UFC 266 only, new DraftKings customers can bet $1 on any fight and earn $150 instantly. Just use promo code FIGHTPASS when you sign up today. DraftKings Sportsbook, bet with the only top-rated sportsbook app that matters. Some interesting developments pertaining to UFC 266. It looks like the Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler fight has been moved to 185 pounds. The Diaz camp requested the fight be moved uh, up to middleweight, and uh, sounds like nothing's going to get in the way of that. Uh, you know, that sent some warning signs to some people. A lot of people were wondering if Nick Diaz is in shape or if this is the right decision uh, or, or a responsible decision. I really don't have a problem with it because when you look at a pearl, like these are two all-time great fighters fighting and it's a fight that is really just a, a fun sort of money fight, if you will. It's not a fight for number one contendership status. And if anything were to happen to get in the way, like a weight cut, then we lose the fight. I don't have a problem with the DS camp reaching out and going, hey, do you want to fight at 185? It's not like Robbie Lawler wasn't a 185-pound champion in Elite XC, so he's done some pretty big things at 185 as well. But uh, what were your thoughts on the idea that Diaz's camp requested that move to middleweight? And uh, is, is there anything to sort of glean into the fight? And, and what do you think about it? I don't think so. You know, especially with two athletes, like you said, that have, have paid their dues in this sport, um, both have fought each other already. Is there is it really necessary to for them to dehydrate themselves and cut down and cut the weight the ten right. pounds because typically ten pounds is your water weight it's the it's the end of your cut so is it really necessary or can they come in healthy um, healthier and and you know maybe eat lighter or whatnot and, and go in there and have a great fight I think that it makes it makes sense especially when you have an opponent that is okay with it and and has agreed as well um i don't think that there's any other anything other than you know not cutting water weight yeah and not to mention too it's not like robbie lawler is coming in undersized because of this like he i mean he might have had to cut more weight than nick diaz honestly to make 170 because of his frame and his stature but obviously a lot of people are wondering what nick diaz is going to be like have after you know five years away from mixed martial arts and that's the other thing too this is a rematch 17 years in the making and i, and I, I think about it i don't think that you can really take anything away from that first meeting back in 2004 and apply it to what we're going to expect on on saturday night 17 years i mean yeah, how I, how much do you change and develop in six months i mean you watch, we watch fighters that are developing in months you know from one fight to the next that is that's a month away so imagine 17 years absolutely this is definitely you know going to be a completely different fight these are two different athletes completely different places in their life 17 years later i mean did one of them have a, a child or three I mean, if they did it can go to an r-rated movie <laughs> That's what I mean. It you know? is insane. How cool is this? How have we ever had a moment like this where we've had two fighters compete against each other 
in mean, this in, the, in this length of period? Decades apart, you know, nothing comes to mind, at least not in the UFC. Um, and, and that's really what Amazing. makes this fight uh, super exciting. And, you know, I, I wondered for a lot of years what it would take to really get Nick Diaz back in the octagon. And I, I guess, you know, another go around with Robbie Lawler is that sort of uh, motivation. And can you think of a better fight? Like if, if Nick Diaz were to come back and fight anyone that he'd already faced before, this is the, the best rematch you can make, I think. Absolutely. This is such an exciting and fun fight. I cannot wait. It's an exciting weekend here at International Fight Week. And again, the Hall of Fame ceremony is headed your way live on UFC Fight Pass starting at 7.30 Pacific time as uh, we are live uh, on a night that we will look at a ton of luminaries uh, who are getting inducted tonight. Mark Ratner uh, getting inducted, Kevin Randleman, uh, and of course, George Rush St. Pierre. When I look at GSP, I, I have a lot of questions because this man is definitely in contention for that uh, sort of goat status. The other question, though, is did he leave anything undone? Because fight fans, and, and Ray Longo likes to point it out to me always that I always seem to want more. I've been begging Khabib Nurmagomedov to come out of retirement since he said I'm not going to fight ever again. Uh, I, I do say that in mixed martial arts, you're always retired until your next fight because retirement seemed to be temporary. But George walked away for a very long time, came back, fought Michael Bisping, captured the middleweight title, and then walked away once again. So when we look at GSP and, and sort of his legacy, obviously, no questions asked, Hall of Famer, which is why he's here tonight. But when I look at the legacy of GSP, I think it would be a foregone conclusion that he is the greatest of all time if he had fought Anderson Silva and beat Anderson Silva, or if he did make a super fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov. Doesn't look like he's gonna do those things. Is there anything that you would have liked to see George do, whether it be a, a fight with Anderson or, or Khabib uh, to sort of cement his status, or is he you know, in consideration for that GOAT status without those fights? Absolutely, he absolutely is. I believe, you know, even me early on in my career, he was you know, one of those athletes that I really looked up to. He was a very intelligent fighter. He truly dedicated himself. He would travel all over the world to, to find the best arts, go and, and put himself in these, you know, these tough situations where you're going into camps, especially at a time where it wasn't, it was, it was kind of frowned upon to go to another gym and train. Right. And he traveled all over the world at this time and went into these gyms. I can only imagine what that was like. I know what it's like today to go into someone else's gym and train and spar and, and work with other athletes. I cannot imagine what it was like back then at this time when it was, it was frowned upon to yeah. go to other gyms. And so he was just a pioneer at the time. He really did elevate the sport. I believe that he taught a lot of us athletes, you know, how to truly be a, a, a mixed martial artist and, and dedicate your life to it. That's one thing, too, that I don't think that he does get enough credit for, because you mentioned, you know, you, you and I both come from the Midwest. You're from Chicago. I'm from Minneapolis. There are not a lot of MMA gyms there mm -hmm. in, in general. And when you do train in one side of town and go to the other, I mean, sometimes that's enough to make enemies for life. Right. I mean, you want to talk about, I mean, Nick Diaz does not like Tyson Griffin to this day because Tyson Griffin left uh, Cesar Gracie's camp and, and went to Vegas. Um, you know, George was one of those guys, though, that was really one of the first athletes to go from Montreal and go, you know what, I need to go to the States. I'm going to go work with Greg Jackson's camp in Albuquerque. And, you know, it's a lot more accepted. You yourself have, have gone all over the place to, to get different looks. And that is something that I think every athlete really benefits leaps and bounds from by getting work with other training partners. Absolutely. And, and you know, GSP was one of those guys that looked for the coach that was 
one of the best in their game. I mean, he went to Freddie Roach. He went to Greg Jackson's. He, you know, he traveled to, um, he trains with Donaher and the Donaher yeah. gym and, and still to this day does. So he's always kind of sought out and looked for the best of the best in, in these particular styles or, or sports and and went to to train with them can you imagine what it was like for for him to go into a freddie roach gym and, and to box freddie's boxers i mean how hard would that be or to go and roll with with danaher's guys at the some of the best jujitsu men in the world um it's it, i i can only imagine how uncomfortable that is which really showcases in in his in his game and and to me why he's one of the greatest ever yeah, and you know, when I look at George, we talk about his appeal, not only in, you know, mixed martial arts circles, but, you know, mainstream companies, you know, the uh, Gatorades of the world, the Under Armors, they, they were inclined to, you know, really embrace George in, in a way that, you know, these companies hadn't really entertained the idea of sponsoring athletes to that level. And, and George was an ambassador for the sport. And, you know, honestly, it's not hyperbole in Canada. He's one of the most celebrated Canadian athletes. I and mean, you think about hockey and how important hockey is to Canada. George St. Pierre is up there with the Wayne Gretzky's of the world. Yes, and he was also one of those fighters that wasn't really flashy. You know, he didn't like to, to trash talk. He, he was always very intelligent, very composed. Another another gentleman that was calm and, and, you know, just came in and really looked at this like a true athlete, like this is a sport. And I believe that that really did help elevate the game in that, in that sense because back then it was like the monster. Right. You were a monster. You had to be a monster to be in this sport and you had to be, you know, just this is crazy fighter yeah and he really did help make ufc from from being just a fighter to to being a real athlete to being a true athlete i mean he trains gymnastics he trained it back then to help elevate his game here in the octagon and uh, it was unheard of back then right I, he really may be the most pure athlete that mixed martial arts has ever seen maybe that doesn't stand the test of time moving forward but definitely for his time there was no better athlete than george st pierre and like you mentioned Gymnastics? That is something. If, if, okay, parents out there, if you want your kids to be little badasses, put them in gymnastics. 100%. Like core strength for days in, in gymnastics. Control, and uh, absolutely. You, you talk about GSP2 and his uh, lack of trash talking. He said things that were somewhat innocent, but because he was such a sweet individual, they sounded like daggers. Like, like Matt Hughes, to Matt Hughes, uh, I'm not impressed with your performance. Like George St. Pierre, like anybody says, like, I wasn't really impressed with your performance. Oh, okay. But when George St. Pierre does it, it's like, dang, do you hear? GSP ripped him a new one, you know? Or he can't handle my rhythm, you know? Like George was just such an icon for so many reasons and uh, definitely worthy of this uh, Hall of Fame induction here tonight, which, by the way, you can watch live at 7.30 Pacific time, live on UFC Fight Pass, uh, presented by Toyo Tires. Uh, it's 10.30 in the East. Uh, definitely want to tune in to uh, take a look at George St. Pierre. And, uh, you know, uh, like I just say, you know, looking at George, listening to the man talk, is, is an event. I'm excited for the uh, acceptance speeches and the induction speeches, uh, you know, for for George and you know for for you know, Kevin Randleman. Uh, Mark Coleman is here. Boss Rutten is here. People are going to really pay homage to the late uh, icon and Kevin Randleman. And again, that's what makes this Hall of Fame so special. I'm I'm a big baseball fan, and in baseball, it's all about tradition. And when you look at mixed martial arts, the UFC is not even 30 years old yet. You know, we're watching the evolution of this sport become something and it's really exciting to watch it unfold here 
in the biggest week of the year for mixed martial arts and international fight week and when you know we are you know 10 20 30 years removed and the ufc is approaching 60 years old people are going to look at this point as is really the infancy like this is still the the dawning of a new age in combat sports and Pearl, it's pretty damn exciting to be sitting next to you and experiencing it live here in Las Vegas. Oh my goodness, this is so cool. Especially like to go down, you know, history, history lane, memory lane. Right, right? memory lane. Memory lane? Yes. Memory lane. To if go you want to say history lane, uh, Boss <laughs> Rudin taught you like some death blows, so you can say whatever, it's say whatever, whatever you want to call okay. it. Okay, well, history lane. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it is. It's been it's been so cool to go down memory lane to, to see these athletes and, and the way they competed. I, I have so many questions like what was the back like? What was it like in the back warming up then compared to now? I mean, now you you have your own room, a dedicated room to yourself. And ha you have like your name on a board and your fight kit is there. Can you imagine what it was like 20, 30 years ago and what it, what what the back room looked like, what the energy was like in the crowd. I mean, it, it's got to be a completely different... Girl, I, I went to shows in the Midwest. I'll tell you what some of those shows in the back room looked like. It was the barns. They were yeah. literally barns. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, go shadow box. You get ready for your fight. Okay, uh, just don't step there because that's horse manure. You know, like, yes. I mean, and that's the other thing too. We're going to talk to hopefully Mark Ratner. Like you went to those local regional shows. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you saw some things that no one would believe if they're newer fans to the sport and what would fly at those smaller events. Absolutely. And and I mean, this is this is where the sport was. These are the athletes that had to go through that and most of their career, yeah. if not all of their yeah. career. And so today, you know, how how much the sport has leveled up, how much the UFC has leveled up to where it was, it really does. It, it's so cool to kind of to see these pioneers and, and what they did. They paved the road for us and for the future athletes. I mean, without them, the sport would not be where it is today. Talking about the evolution of mixed martial arts and the UFC as a whole, this is something that I actually haven't asked you. Why did you become a professional fighter? Like, was there a moment where you're like, yeah, I think I can beat other women up? Yeah, I mean, that was, it was like a, you know when people dream about being like a lawyer or whatever? I dreamed about being a professional fighter. It was like the biggest deal ever. When I was young and I was competing, I, I didn't understand it. I just I, I just had this conversation with my uncle and he was like, he picked me up. I had beat, I had gotten to a fight with some girls or whatever. And he was like, why did you fight? And I was like, I just love to fight. I just love to fight. I don't know. And um, it, was, it was for that reason where I found this sport and it became my outlet and it became the place that I got to express myself and, and the freedom to be me. So, you know, as a young kid, I, the dream was to be a professional athlete. And it always has been. And it's it's really because I like to punch people and I like to, to get punched back. Right. It's kind of crazy. Wait, so you like getting hit? Yeah, absolutely. Every, you, 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 you know, it takes a different mind, a different mindset to be able to go into the gym because most of us are going into a gym and you're not in there like dominating and, and, and looking like you, they look when they're outperforming. I right. mean, you're usually getting your butt whooped. Right. You're usually getting whooped and mopped across If you're with the a mat. good camp, you, you should be, right? Absolutely. And so you leave there every day defeated. Your ego in a ball here and thrown in the garbage, you know? And every single day you go through that and you go home and then you, one slight mistake, it's over. And then your whole day is ruined. And then you just come back the next day and do it all over again. You got to have a, a crazy mindset to be able to do that. But th this is the life and this is the sport and the challenge of, of trying to be better or pursuing to be better, I believe, is, is what makes this sport so amazing. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the evolution uh, of mixed martial arts, one thing that just sort of occurred to me is, you know, when you were talking about, you know, the back and the fight kit and having, mm -hmm. you know, your name there in this little locker room, 
that is there now for young kids to dream about when 15, 20 years ago, like you were fighting in board shorts that you got at, you know, the local Walmart or Target, you know what I mean? So it's like, now you can actually get a custom fight kit, you know, made for you. And if you're a young kid, uh, you can get your own sort of inspiration that way. Cause the idea of, uh, uh, you know, something with your name on it that says like, this is me, it's validation, even if you're not fighting in the UFC, but to get that and see that and, and try to, you know, get to that level, climb that mountain, that is something that young kids like yourself who may or may not like hitting other people or getting hit back, it's a, it's a real honest professional career that they can uh, you know, do now. Absolutely. And, you know, back when I was young, there there wasn't a professional league for women women athletes. I mean, I remember competing in, in um, what's the tournament now? The tournament's Naga. And back then it, it, was, it was called Naga, but it was owned by the Gracies. And there was maybe two to three women that would compete in this. And because I was like a bigger girl for my age, you, you either fought the boys or you fought women. And so I was always in the women's division, which had two, two females. And now you go to these tournaments and, and there's hundreds of women and, and you know, there, there's something to look forward to. You have Valentina Shevchenko, you have Lauren Murphy, these amazing women, incredible athletes that you can aspire to be like. And for women, it, it, it wasn't that way 15 years right. ago. Yeah. I mean, you think about professional sports as well, you know, for women, you know, whether it be the WNBA, women's mixed martial arts, I think, has come such a long way and it is a sport that it transcends the idea of a, a niche women's sport. Like I know there are plenty of, you know, WNBA fans. There are not a lot of necessarily WNBA fans that are also NBA fans, you know, the crossover. I, I don't really see a clear cut uh, sort of division between mixed martial arts, whether it be men or women, you know, they're fighting side by side, like co-main event, Saturday night, Valentina Shevchenko, Lauren Murphy, right next to Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. You know, that's it. It's a fight. Like, it, oh, oh, do you see the women's fight coming up? Like, we've gone past that. Right. You know, we are mixed martial arts, and men and women both compete in mixed martial arts, and it's it's amazing just to uh, watch and see how much the women have really climbed that ladder. And, and as far as, you know, reception, it's it's fully equal. Absolutely. I mean, and it is. It is. Like you just said, it's an, it's one of those sports that we are very blessed to have the equal opportunity in, to, in this sport. Um, and it is. It's been so cool to kind of watch it evolve and grow. I mean, 10 years ago, it's a completely different sport. And uh, how, how awesome is it that we are here tonight to get to reflect on where the sport was and, and where it is today? We uh, taking a look at the uh, red carpet cam. Bosch Gruden getting uh, interviewed by some of the MMA media. In the background of that, we see uh, Mark the Hammer Coleman here, obviously uh, supporting his uh, late friend, uh, Kevin Randleman. Hopefully we'll have a chance to speak with the Hammer coming up here uh, in, in a little bit. It, it, I mean, I just noticed something. So Bosch, Bosch has on um, the monster shirt. Oh yeah, you didn't notice that when we, you know. No. It, 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 it's fast moving here yeah. uh, at, at the red carpet. Uh, kind of get a wide shot of it now. Um, you know, I always feel, like I feel bad that these guys do this whole red carpet and then, you know, try to talk to us for only three minutes when half the time I'm not even done introducing them at the three minute mark. <laughs> uh, so let them go, but I, I did want to bring that up. I'm happy you brought it up now in hindsight. That is so awesome. Yeah, uh, and, and that's the thing too, the the look of, of Kevin Randleman, that was, that was something that like, there weren't a lot of brand forward thinking athletes when right. Kevin was coming up. And I mean, I, I think about Kevin Randleman, I think of three things. One, always bleached his hair blonde. Two, always had red wrestling shoes going back to his days at Ohio State. And three, the most intimidating pair of eyes tattooed 
on his back that just screamed intensity. So even when he was completely silent, Kevin Randleman was exuding this intensity, and that's what made him the monster. Oh my goodness, you know, and, and the thing that I think was so cool, cool and unique to see of him was how he related to the audience, and how he let you know, I'm, I'm human, I make mistakes, I'm very real, you too can do what I'm doing, you too can be like me, and he inspired, how he just touched the hearts of so many people, and, and really reminded people, like, you can do this, and, and for me, for someone that grew up in an inner city who didn't have many positive role models, when you have someone like that that's traveling to Japan and competing and, 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 and doing all the amazing things and the look he had and the, the way he moved and, and you know, was that gives you something, it gives you hope. It gives you something to look forward to. And I believe that, you know, he was a pioneer with that. He was a pioneer to, to show people like, hey, I'm yes, I'm a monster. Yes, I'm a this insane fighter and I'm coming in here to kill you. But at the same time, I'm just I'm just a man. Yeah. And he would shake your hand when it was all said and done, too, right. you know, because he was, he was a very honorable man and uh, truly a Hall of Fame resume. Let's take a look one more time. Former UFC heavyweight champion, two-time NCAA Division One champion, and a one-time runner-up. He competed three years uh, at the D1 level in wrestling and, you know, was a, a gold medalist or a silver medalist at the very uh, worst, three-time uh, Big Ten champion and, uh, again, Pride and Strike Force veteran. You can watch all of his fights, whether it be in Pride, Strike Force, or the UFC uh, right now on UFC Fight Pass, uh, including his UFC debut where he defeated Maurice Smith back at UFC 19. So tonight we will remember and honor the monster Kevin Randleman here at the UFC Hall of Fame. The ceremony going to be live once again at 7.30 Pacific time uh, on UFC Fight Pass. It will be a night to uh, sort of take in no matter where you are, if you are here in Las Vegas, uh, but if you are abroad, you may uh, tune in live as well on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, it is TJ DeSantis and Pearl Gonzalez here live in Las Vegas, International Fight Week. Uh, it all leads up to UFC 266. We've talked a little bit about it, but uh, you know, let's stick with the, uh, the women's vibe and talk about our co-main event a little bit. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko a huge favorite uh, over Lauren Murphy. Let's take a look at the odds uh, once again. Uh, Shevchenko minus uh, 1375 for the comeback on Lauren Murphy at plus 800. Um, we talked about this. Uh, obviously, Lauren Murphy would like to walk out of T-Mobile Arena with her hand raised and that flyweight championship, but the adversity that she's gone through in her personal life to get to this level Again, I'm not going to say that she's not winning. It's a, it's a long shot by the odds, but you know she's already walking into this fight with with a huge victory in life. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a fan of Lauren Murphy's fighting ability. You have to be a fan of the fighter that she is in life because her story are, are the stuff of movies, honestly. Oh my gosh, TJ, if there's anybody who can make the impossible possible, it is Lauren Murphy. I mean, she comes from, you know, being a drug addict to to having nowhere to go in life. I mean, I know because I've my I've been directly impacted by by drug addiction as well and not me myself, but in my family and the obstacles and and the tools necessary to overcome something like that is very very hard to do. And so, for this woman to overcome those obstacles in life alone is such a huge statement of how strong-willed this and determined this woman is but to, to take herself from from being this this person to fighting for the UFC 
flyweight title is it, I don't even have words for how yeah. insane this truly right. is. I mean, just kidding. The fight is is a victory into itself. And Absolutely. then, uh, of course, we're here at the uh, UFC Hall of Fame tonight uh, for Valentina Shevchenko. If she wants to find herself in the Hall of Fame, she needs to continue doing what she does best, and that's dominating women at 125 pounds. And, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the, the horse here, but Valentina Shevchenko is definitely someone to, uh, you know, get excited about. And, and maybe we'll see her one day uh, real soon here uh, at the UFC Hall of Fame. But right now, I believe we're going to be joined by a man that uh, you all know and love. He's the pride of Louisiana. He's not, uh, I mean, I, maybe we can call him a diamond in the rough. Most people just call him the diamond. It is Dustin Poirier, kind enough to give us a few moments here uh, during International Fight Week. Uh, Dustin, uh, appreciate you uh, stopping by. How are things? Great, man. Um, excited to be here. A little bit nervous. I don't get dressed up like this too often, so. Oh my gosh, I was gonna say you look great, and your wife does too. What are you wearing? What are Thank you wearing? Thank you so much. Shoes, Robert Graham. Fire. Robert Graham you all know, the way. Robert Graham, you hear that, guys? He looks amazing. The shoes too. Thank you. Thank You're you. You're so welcome. Much. So, what has life been like? I mean, it's two months ago since UFC 264. Conor McGregor has somehow kept his name in the news, not necessarily for the right reasons. But uh, what have you been up to? Did uh, Hurricane Ida impact you down there in Louisiana? Luckily for Lafayette, Louisiana, we were right outside of the, you know, harm's way, but surrounding communities that got devastated and um, the foundation donated a lot of um, generators, gas, food, and a few other things. So trying to trying to get everything put back together there. Talk about the Good Fight Foundation a little bit. You've been, you know, very vocal and, and really, you know, bringing light to the cause. It's something that it seems like you're just as passionate, probably, I mean, I don't want to say that you're not as passionate about your own career, but every time you're talking on your own accord, it's about the Good Fight Foundation. It's not necessarily about your next fight or what you're doing. Yeah, I'm just trying to use the uh, platform and the opportunity I have to to get these voices that sometimes are a little bit muted uh, in the community out there to the masses and, and raise awareness, raise funds to, to, to benefit the community, uh, families, just doing everything I can to put as much of my back going into these fights uh, that I can. You know, we were talking about the evolution, Dustin, of mixed martial arts, and you know a lot of people got into this sport not necessarily knowing if it was going to be an avenue to be a professional athlete. Um, did you ever really predict the success that you have, have come upon you know early on i didn't doubt it but i just didn't know I, my, my goal was to be the best fighter that i could be to be a world champion and i'm still chasing that dream but everything that comes along with that has been incredible you know providing for me and my family creating this foundation just that the roles that this journey has taken me on i'm, I'm very grateful for uh, but i still have more work to do and with that success for yourself that you found you've made sure to bring up others around you when did it become you know sort of apparent to you that not only did you want to better your own life and obviously your family's life but you know the the people in your community when did it become uh, clear that you wanted to change the world i would say maybe six years ago me and my wife started auctioning off fight worn memorabilia when i was moving back to louisiana uh, from Florida. I had a, a dresser full of fight-worn stuff and we were like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? You know, the first couple of shorts you get, the first couple of fight gloves you get in the UFC mean a lot to you. But then after, over the years, you get 30 fights in the UFC and you just got piles of stuff. You're like, what What? What are we doing with all this? Right. Blood, bloody stuff. And um, we decided to, to auction it off on eBay and donate the money to a fallen officer's family in our, in our hometown of Lafayette, Louisiana. And that kind of snowballed into when I was in camp for Justin Gates, we decided to turn it into an actual nonprofit and, and see if we can grow this thing as big as we can. And it's, it's surpassed what I thought was going to happen. I mean, it's got to make you feel like you really are changing the world. Like, obviously, you're, you're entertaining the masses, but going out there and, and, and fighting, like, you, you, can, you can let your head down at night and go, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. 
yeah, I'm just I'm just very thankful that I recognize that I have a platform to try to get these things done, you know, because I could just be fighting and, and providing for me and my family. But like I said, I try to put as much, I'm, I'm going to do that regardless. Right. I'm going to fight as hard as I can for me and mine regardless. So if I can give somebody else a reason to smile, uh, I just, I, I don't take that stuff lightly. Well, Dustin, we appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck and, and get back to the Octagon soon and fighting for a title. Uh, I have a question. Oh, okay. All right. So Dustin, you, you know, you inspired me when I was young, when I was first coming into to the sport MMA was what it's called then. But you know, you you really show that you can be just an average person that comes into the sport and, and gets to the, where you are today. What would be your message to some of the, the youth or the, the younger kids that are looking at this? I'm from Chicago. I'm from an inner city. You don't have dreams like this. And what would your what would your you know what would you like to say to someone that's from an inner city that doesn't have very many positive role models? You know, I, I try to get that message across. You know, like often like if, if i can do it you can do it because i am you I, I come from nothing i'm just a blue collar guy maybe i don't even know if i'm that gifted or talented but i'm just a hard worker and uh i don't quit you know and, and i learn from my mistakes and if you have a drive and you can look back at things you've done and try to make you know make better decisions make better movements and uh grow as a person not only in fighting but you know in your personal life anything's possible chase those dreams well you're providing a you. uh, pretty damn good uh uh, example inside and outside of the octagon and uh, Dustin honestly man uh, keep keep fighting the good fight I will thank you man. there he is the diamond Dustin Poirier kind enough to join us here uh, at the end of the red carpet uh, it is International Fight Week the Hall of Fame uh, going down tonight the Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony and Poirier on his way to maybe find a spot in that hall uh, MMA record of 28 uh, in six with one no contest, currently ranked number one in the UFC's lightweight uh, division. Obviously, uh, a date with Charles Oliveira can't be too far around the corner. He is the former interim uh, lightweight champ as well. Defeated Conor McGregor back at UFC 264, solidifying that uh, that trilogy for himself. And uh, Dustin, kind enough to join us here uh, again at the end of the red carpet. And you know that's one thing, Pearl, that we have talked about. Uh, you know the the change that these athletes can provide for themselves and their family, oh but but also the the rest of the world. This is a, a platform that you can use a variety of ways. You can be, become an icon and, and at time be selfish, or you can also use that same platform, become an icon, and literally change the world. Absolutely, and and Dustin is a, a prime example of that. You know, he was he, he talks about it a lot. How he was a troubled teenager, and he found his way into the sport. Um, and for someone even like me, like fighting saved my life. I yeah. I just loved to fight. I didn't understand it. I did, whether it was against the law or not, I'd love to fight. And this is just one of those outlets that can provide to anybody, any walk, shape, color, size, person in the world. Yeah, and you know that's the thing that I I enjoy about these athletes that do set up these nonprofits, and you know we we talk about the good fight uh, foundation all the time with dustin you know there are people in every fighter's life that don't get the the credit that helped them come up and become who they are and you know for for dustin lafayette louisiana is home and he wants to help everyone in that community for you it, it's chicago well, i don't know what you claim anymore i mean chicago <laughs> san diego there's um, only one place that's home tj and that's chicago of course but uh, i thought you were gonna say an rv yeah no well that's that's home now no no oh, no. oh. i haven't been living in that thing no, no, you don't live it. Like I said, you wherever you are in that moment, that's you're living there because that's how you do. Like we go to Mexico, guys. Last year we go to Mexico, and I don't even think your hotel had a refrigerator. 
And you bought like a month's worth of groceries. <laughs> I did not buy a month's like worth. Non-perishable stuff, or you know, perishable items. I went and put it in. I'm sure I put it in someone's fridge, but yes, no, no one my, had a fridge. <laughs> someone, you, you, I think you had like some slow cooker, and you're like, "Do you want to have beef stew?" And I'm like, "No." They were ribs. They were oh, ribs. ribs. Sorry, they were short ribs. TJ, and I'm notes. sorry, but it's very important for me. My nutrition is is one of my number one values. That I, has to be. I on understand. Point. I understand. All right, let's uh, let's oh, make man. room for uh, a man that's coming over here. No, he's not now. Just See, kidding. This is what happens here. This is this is uh, <laughs> this is live uh, television Just podcast. Like I don't know what this is, but it's live and it's unpredictable as hell. I'll tell you what, I just saw GSP and John Jones walk past in like five minutes. It was probably the coolest moment of my life. Well, I mean, those are two of the top three on my list of goats. It's crazy. They both just walked past us. It's a goat show here With in it, Las Vegas. It, it really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, that's one thing that we really haven't talked uh, too much about is uh, one of the other inductions or inductees coming up uh, this weekend. Uh it's John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson one. Their fight uh, goes into the uh, the Hall of Fame in the fight wing. And I need to go back and watch this fight because I scored it very, very closely, but right. for John Jones. And, you know, at the time, and maybe still to this date, it might be the greatest UFC title fight in history. Everyone has their, their favorite fight for a variety of reasons. But I remember on this night being treated to... 25 minutes of excellency where I wasn't sure who necessarily was going to walk out the champion that night, but I knew that whoever it was, it was definitely well deserved. You know, I remember, I remember this this night. Um, I would go and watch it. You know, at like one of the local bars with my my dad. He was such a huge fan, and I just remember how insane this night was with this fight. It was crazy and almost like unheard of at this time. At this at this point, John was like untouchable. He was kind of seen as suit like a superhuman and this fight was like holy smokes like he's real he's human and i think that i would love to ask him you know what was this fight monumental for him to kind of know like i've got people on my heels i've got men on my heels i've got to step my game up keep my game up when you look at john jones he was the youngest champion i mean still to this day it's a record that stands youngest champion in ufc history when you find success in the way that he has not that he necessarily believed his own hype, but it's, I think it's easy to feel invincible because as a fighter, I mean, you can speak to this better than I can because I'm not a fighter, just, just breaking news. But when, <laughs> when you are someone like yourself competing at this high level, you have to believe in yourself 100%. So when you are out there thinking you're invincible and then no one can really prove that you're wrong, I think you learn a lot about yourself when you go to the judges' scorecards and go, oh crap, did I just win? I don't know if I won. Well, I think even in the moment, right, when you're when you're going through adversity in the fight, I, it's so chaotic in there. And when you've you've got someone and you're used to kind of you know doing your thing and having your way and imposing your will, and there's someone across from you that's saying, "No, I'm imposing my will tonight. I'm coming to win." And it's just this crazy internal fight that you have that, and it's these unspoken words and and un expressed movements that you feel between this this other athlete in front of you and it's just an energy exchange and it's intense yet it's, it's something that will you can never replicate ever right and if we're going to talk about you know ranking legacies of, of athletes and you know who is the goat and, and why they are or aren't the goat I, I might say that this first fight with Alexander Gustafson is a strong argument to why John Jones could be the greatest of all time because 
when you look at that fight, he learned from it. He got better. Look at the second meeting. It was night and day, different performance. John Jones went out there and absolutely dominated. But when, you know, Ray brought this up, uh, when looking at mixed martial arts champions, champions are really made when they go through adversity. When you go out there and you, you know, dominate, you know, it's one thing to go out there and just do what you want to do and, and call your shot and, and hit it every time. That's great. But it's when you have to make that adjustment. You know, when you have a fight, like, that's why championship fights, in my mind, are five rounds, because it's the adjustment that you're going to have to make over the fight that is ultimately going to win the most difficult and challenging of fights because you, your opponents are going to be able to acclimate to what you're throwing at them. And, and you need those extra two rounds at the highest level to really sort of show that you are the best. Um, you know, look at Dan Henderson versus Mauricio Shogun. Uh, that was the first UFC non-title fight to be uh, five rounds. And it, if it ended after the third round, Dane Henderson walks away with his hand raised, no problem. But in rounds four and five, Mauricio Shogun came back and you know, really gave Hendo every you know, bit of a run for his money. And it's something that we wouldn't have had if we didn't have those championship rounds. And you know, with John Jones, one of the reasons that I say this, this first fight with Gustafson goes to really sort of you know, cement his status as maybe the top dog is, as the GOAT is you know, he, he came out on the right side of that decision. And he's come out on the right side of every single decision in his mixed martial arts career outside of the Steve Mazzagatti decision of, hey, those were downward elbows, I'm going to disqualify you, which we'll, we'll save that conversation for uh, another day. But looking at the first Gus fight, it was similar to the Dominic Reyes fight. It was very close. Some people thought that Dominic Reyes won, but John Jones came out on the right side. His style, for whatever reason, speaks well to the judges. And to date, no one can really hold their hand up and say, I beat you, John Jones. And Alexander Gustin came pretty damn close, but not close enough. Absolutely. And I mean, can you imagine what that fight would have looked like had it have only been three rounds? No, no. Yeah, I, like I don't even want to entertain that because everything changes too. If you know you're only fighting for 15 minutes, your output is different. You don't have to be more conservative with your, your cardio and, and what you want to do. And, you know, I, I believe mixed martial arts is the most beautiful sport in the world. And because of that, the reason I believe that is because it is such a tactical game. You know, Hoist Gracie, who we talked to earlier, proved that technique can beat strength. But what happens when technique is even right. and your strength is even? You have to adjust and make, you know, moves one step ahead. It's, it's I hate calling it the proverbial game of human chess because it's, it's played out. But that's really what mixed martial arts is at the highest level. It's, it's a mental game where you can make one move and either make the night go your way or just piss it away and, and come up short very quickly. I mean, yes, or you could you can second guess yourself and make one small tiny mistake. And, and just like that, the fight has completely changed. Um, you can go in there and, and, you know, this is a great question to ask. Was, was he sick? Was he under the weather in this right. fight? Where was he mentally at? Because even walking into a fight and not being in the right mindset can, can throw you off. Um, the crowd, the energy, where your focus is in that moment, you know, all these seconds. And we've talked about this before. There is... 15 minutes but these seconds feel so long yet they they pass you by and and they go so fast it's such an interesting and unique feeling that you feel inside of the octagon and that's the thing too that i think about that goat status and goat conversation is when you look at 
you know, the, the legacy of a fighter. This isn't a season. This isn't a sport that has a season. Right. You know, you lose a fight, it follows you forever. If you, you know, drop that first fight, you are always going to be X amount of wins and one when, you know, the announcer introduces you the next time out. You cannot make mistakes that will not follow you. Your losses, just like your wins, are forever. And that's what makes mixed martial arts so great. Absolutely. And, and, um, Sometimes there's no repeats, like you said, you know, like you never know whether or not you'll fight again. Right. And if you, if you go out there and you maybe don't have, you don't, you're not on your best game, you, you maybe you were focused on the person screaming in the red dress vice focusing on listening to your corner or focused on your opponent in front of you and you, there's no like redos. That, that was hyper specific. Do you remember someone in a red dress during one of your fights or something like that? Um... Do you hear people? Like, what do you hear yeah, in the crowd? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, I do. Yeah, you do. You hear people. I mean, I, I think I'm at a point where I can kind of single out who I want to hear, but I usually do, especially, like, when my family's screaming and getting crazy, I'll hear them. Very very specific voices I do hear. I, I've been, you know, in uh, the building for some of your fights. I've called plenty of your fights, and let me tell you, I hear your family <laughs> when, when you're fighting, and I'm calling the fights. They, they might as well just have their own microphone, because they, I mean, they're, they're uh, diehard supporters, Pearl. They are. They're very, very passionate, and um, they get to live vicariously through me, which is what is also very unique about our sport is so many people get to live vicariously yeah. through these fighters. So many people can relate to this particular fighter or, or this particular thing, and, you know, they express themselves. This is, a, this is art. This is art in our form um, to go out there and express themselves. So when you have someone you can relate to and you can express in that art form, but maybe you can't physically like this particular fighter, that's what's so unique about this sport. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you're gonna live vicariously through any athlete, John Jones is a hell of a person to live vicariously through. Oh and uh, tonight we will induct his fight with Alexander Gustafsson into the fight wing of the UFC Hall of Fame. Let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into the resume of John Jones. His MMA record stands at 26 wins with one loss, one no contest. That one loss again uh, due to uh, some illegal 12 to six elbows, which really sort of came in after Matt Hamill, his opponent, was uh, all but finished, but. Uh, the referee that night deemed those uh, blows to be fight ending and uh, unfortunately for John uh, it marks the only loss of his uh, mixed martial arts career. 11 successful UFC title defenses, longest unbeaten streak in the UFC at 18 consecutive victories. Uh, that led him to become the UFC's youngest champion uh, 23 years 242 days and he was a champion too before he got to the uh, UFC, that uh, being a collegiate wrestling champion at the junior college level at Iowa Central. Now, we look more at John Jones and, you know, sort of discuss that GOAT status. He's not done. And he's doing something now that, like, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this man at heavyweight. You, uh, you know, were driving across the country, made a stop in Albuquerque, and actually got to see uh, John train. What was that like? It was amazing. First off, just going into their gym, it's so historical. You know, you grow up in the sport, and, and you've, Jackson Winks was like the first gym of its kind, you know, where they housed athletes, and they had all these big athletes, and it was a big camp. It was one of the very first in our sport to kind of have that. And so when you walk in one, that's already, it's just this incredible feeling. But then I, I, I you know, I get to see John, who is you know, training every day, whatever he's showing on his media, don't let him fool you. He is very, very much uh, focused on, on his skills and bettering himself as a, as a fighter. Um, but he was in there, you know, working pads, working. He had his whole team there, all of his coaches there. They were working on skills and, and, and technique. And then there was a, a guy playing the ukulele in there. It was nice and somber and calm for him. It was really, really cool. 
You know, the, the, the ukulele is not exactly like the MMA instrument of choice, I would think. It's, it's something uh, that I, I would, that would probably be the last instrument I would think would be played in an MMA jam. But then again, you think about it, right? And I remember being in there and the energy in there, it was just so calm. And when you're calm like that, you only, you can learn, you can focus, you, you, you don't have, you're not on edge, you're not worried about someone watching you, you're not, you know, worried about this fight in front of you. You're very calm in this calm, unique state where can you learn more? Can you really implement what you're learning and these skills better than have you not have been there with a ukulele in front of you? Right. I mean, th that's one thing too. You talk about John and sort of the uh, persona that he has online. Like, these athletes really are what they sort of allow themselves to put out, but we don't really know who they are, like, when you're training with them side by side. And that is something that is really interesting because, you know, uh, John Jones has been someone who's always in the news because of how good of an athlete he is. But I really wonder how many people, even close to John, totally know John. Like, he's, he's definitely different than a lot of people think uh, he is or at least different than who we see you know at press conferences and uh, you know inside the octagon oh my god he is such an inspirational person i mean i personally have asked him you know just his advice on, on fights or advice and fight careers or camps and um he really did take the time out to to give me the best knowledge that he could and it's just it's an honor to hear from a legend like this and and explain how important it is that your camp and your coaches are all on the same page and that you sit down and you write your notes and you know it, it's just he's so detailed in in his training and in his progression um it really it, it doesn't surprise why he's the greatest of all time one of i mean we can't one of you're you right know, we'll argue one we'll argue okay. but but right. you know what i'll say Fair enough. if i'm making uh, the argument that he's not i might be being, being the devil's advocate you know what i, I mean, mean because... and you might just get the bajaroon <laughs> all right, all right. It's going to be like that now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in fear the rest of the week, aren't I? This is not good. Uh, yeah, going, going back to John Jones real quick, uh, I was in the Target Center in Minneapolis at UFC 87 uh, for his debut. He fought on the preliminary card. He took on a guy named Andre Guzmão, uh, who was a champion outside of the UFC, and a lot of people thought that Guzmão would do really great things uh, in the UFC. And then he ran into this kid from upstate New York named John Jones, and I was up in the nosebleeds that night. And I couldn't tell if John had thrown a spinning back fist or a spinning back elbow. The answer was both because he did multiple uh, versions of the, both of those techniques. And no one was ready for that sort of dynamic striking offense from someone like John Jones. And, and again, was a junior college wrestling champion. This guy did it the unexpected in so many different ways. And, and it really, you know, ran roughshod through the entire 205 pound division. Can he be the same at heavyweight? That's my question. That's what everyone really wants to know. When he moves up and takes on these heavyweight caliber fighters, what is that going to look like? Is he going to look the same as he did at 205 pounds, you think? I mean, um, physically already, he looks so different in person. I mean, he really is has put on size. He looks massive right now. He looks massive. And watching him move, he was moving he looked like John Jones moving in See, there. See, that's what's crazy. If he puts right. on heavyweights, if he's a heavyweight stature fighter but still moves like the light heavyweight John Jones, like, look out, heavyweights. Scary. That's terrifying. That's scary, exactly, Not yes. to mention, does he hit harder? You know, like, right. can you imagine if he hits harder? Like, I don't, I don't know if people are ready for it. Right, exactly, which is, it's, it's insane. I mean, I'm very excited to see this. Yeah, and I don't know what the future holds for, for John Jones, but I do know that uh, the immediate future 
holds a place in the UFC Hall of Fame for his fight with Alexander Gustafson and uh, John Jones still far from done in really cementing his legacy as one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Um, we'll see what he can do at heavyweight uh, here moving forward inside the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Uh, it is International Fight Week here in Las Vegas. TJ DeSantis along with Pearl Gonzalez. This is Extra Rounds. We're normally live Wednesdays at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the uh, Fight Pass Facebook page and, of course, live on Twitch. I always love the interaction we get from our Twitch viewers coming up with uh, questions. Maybe we can uh, get some questions. Uh, uh, limited time here on, on the show today, but we're going to be back again coming up on Saturday, pre and post UFC 266. And uh, I'm just so happy to be here, Pearl. Like, this is, again, the biggest fight week of the year for the UFC and the fight capital of the world. And uh, it, it's a real treat sitting next to you for all of us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, TJ. I mean, how cool is it? Where were we last year? What were we doing last year? Uh, sitting at home with Watching. the doors locked because we couldn't go anywhere. Exactly. And so to, to have this ceremony tonight, um, fight week this week, I mean, it really is a, a treat and a breath of fresh air. And then just, ah, the world's coming back. It's coming back, and, TJ. And, and that's the thing, too. We talk about energy. Like, mm. you don't even have to be at the fights necessarily to feel the energy energy right. of fight week in las vegas i mean this city eats breathes and sleeps combat sports it's the fight capital of the world and uh, just seeing have you seen the arena on the outside like mm -hmm. there's this huge banner it says t-mobile arena home of the ufc like if it happens and it matters it happens right here and i it's it's amazing to get the ufc back in that arena uh, just for the second time uh, this year obviously 264 was a return to t-mobile and uh, now 266 back at it again with a championship double header um, what, are, what are your thoughts, again, getting back to Valentina Shevchenko and, and Lauren Murphy? We were talking a little bit about the, the great Cinderella story for Lauren Murphy to get to this fight. But, you know, right now it doesn't get any better at 125 pounds than Valentina Shevchenko. Um, you know, big favor coming into this fight. That's got to be a ton of pressure for her being, you know, almost a, a minus 1500 favor coming into this fight. Maybe. I mean, when you talk to her, it never seems like pressure. You know, she's been doing this her whole life. She really is a mixed martial artist who's dedicated her entire life to being the best uh, artist that she possibly can be. And I, I, you know, I believe that this is just her heart and passion. And she just goes out there and expresses herself in whichever way she, she feels is necessary. And she does such a great job at adjusting in these fights and, and has done a great job at adjusting and locking in. I mean, her ability to focus and and what on what's in front of her is amazing and it's like no other i mean her striking alone and then you've got her judo credentials and the way that she'll throw you around to her grappling and how she can submit you or end you on the ground i mean she truly is gifted in every single area of the sport yeah that's the thing i look at you know what mma is it stands for obviously mixed martial arts but when you're someone like valentina shevchenko who's just your core is an all-around fantastic MMA fighter. Like, I don't know how you really prepare for her because honestly, like you said, she's dangerous on the feet with her striking. She's really good in, you know, in the clinch, not only with striking from inside the clinch, but she'll dump you on her head oh with a judo she's throw. Got great, great judo. Like, how do you modify your game to fight someone like Valentina Shevchenko? Yeah, like, it's it's next to impossible. It is, and who better? Right. to try to figure out this puzzle um then lauren murphy i mean she's on a four fight winning streak yeah, yeah. four fight winning streak she's fought pretty much everybody in the division she's been such a hard worker she's constantly coming in and proving that she's the better opponent and and who better than lauren murphy to test test the waters and we'll see what happens that uh, your co-main event coming up on 
Saturday. It's Saturday. It's Thursday tonight. It's, Thursday. it's been a long week here, International Fight Week. Uh, it's been a pretty long week for for Dan Hooker. Um, you know, he's uh, been training in New Zealand alongside uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, who defends his title on Saturday. Um, there was a lot of concern about uh, Dan Hooker coming to the States because he needed to get uh, a visa. It looked like this fight was in peril because Dan hadn't got the right paperwork. Ultimately, uh, he's gotten what he's uh, needed to get done. But think about that, like coming in just a few days before your fight from the other side of the planet, uh, coming on the, the other side of the hemisphere. I mean, I, I can't imagine what Dan has gone through because I mean, they've had to lock themselves in the gym because they can't leave. They're on full lockdown uh, in New Zealand. Um, that's going to be weighing on him a little bit. I'm, ex I'm excited to see the return of Dan Hooker coming up on Saturday. Absolutely. Do you remember like the last fight he had and how he was uh, away from his family for so long as well before before his fight and after his fight he had to quarantine. So he's definitely been through the ropes um, these last couple years. Yeah, I uh, interviewed him a couple weeks ago and they were playing this game called Buffalo which uh, essentially like they, they would make rules for each other and if they were caught violating the rules they would have to do i think it was like 25 or 50 burpees oh. and uh for hooker he couldn't hold anything in his right hand so he had this huge x written on his right hand because he couldn't hold anything in it and uh you know we were wrapping up the interview and i said uh you know thanks for everything dan uh, we'll, we'll see you at whatever fight week and he goes no problem he picks up this pen i was like i was in your right hand you gotta do 25 burpees and he's like but you're not playing the game so <laughs> you, i mean you're gonna go crazy living in the gym locked down like that right maybe or maybe you get really creative in there and then create some really cool things going on right like games like buffalo buffalo I, yeah he said it's so matter of fact like i knew exactly what he was talking about i'm like I, <laughs> buffalo i don't i don't know what that means at all so um Let's, uh, you know, actually, we, we threw the question out there uh, for Twitch. Uh, we do have a Twitch question, and uh, the, the question uh, is from DZ510. Uh, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. It's a rematch. Um, your thoughts uh, on it? We want a, a, a breakdown a little bit from Pearl Gonzalez. Oh uh, 17 gosh. years in the making, uh, a rematch that Nick Diaz really solidified himself as an elite striker in mixed martial arts that night. A lot of people believe that it was Robbie Lawler taking on a jiu-jitsu kid in Nick Diaz back at, I think, UFC 47. Um, Nick Diaz proved to be a lot more than a jiu-jitsu kid. Uh, how do you see these two matching up on Saturday? God, this is such an interesting fight. I mean, I believe the odds are right. It can go either way. You have Robbie Lawler, Lawler who's this incredible striker, right? right? He's been through wars. We've witnessed some amazing fights with, with Robbie and just his um, ability to, to keep throw his hands and then use his feet and then his timing. And you know, he's a dynamic striker. And, um, and then you have someone like Diaz who never stops coming forward, who's always putting pressure on you, constantly putting pressure on you constantly throwing jabs ones and twos and just in your face and also there there's that you know the the that we don't talk about much the mental warfare that goes on in there right. and that comes every time you fight a diaz yeah. fight is you 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 come in with they they come with mental warfare as well so this is it's an interesting fight it can go either way i mean diaz has incredible grappling superior grappling in my opinion um in this fight can he get it to the mat can he get it to the canvas? Does he want to? That's Does the he want too. to? Right? Does he want to? Um, and and we've seen Robbie. We've seen Robbie deal with wrestlers. We've seen him do very well against grapplers. We've seen his grappling game improve tremendously. Um, does he want to take it to the mat? 
right. you know, and then bring it back up. I think that he does a really great job of when the fight is transitioning, he can he can really um, counter strike and, and just implement his game in those moments, those little moments there. And uh, will we see some of that that on Saturday night? You know, I'm curious. A lot has changed since we've seen, you know, the, the first meeting between uh, Robbie and, and Nick. But one thing, uh, just over the last five years since the last time Nick really took the octagon is Nate Diaz has become the, the more well-known Diaz brother. It used to be Nick Diaz and his little brother, Nate. Now it's Nate Diaz and, oh yeah, his brother Nick's pretty good too. You think Nick has any sort of motivation to try to you know become the the top diaz brother again in the mma sort of uh you know world uh, to sort of take that top spot back as the most recognized diaz brother i don't know if he wants to like top his brother but i think that it might encourage him to to see how well his brother has done or to even see the fights that his brother has has lost or the wars he's been in and to want to get payback for his brother um but i don't know if it's so much competition between them right. i think it's more like hey my brother's doing this i can do that or, hey, that dude beat the crap out of my brother. I'm going to come kick his ass. Yeah. Um, we will see what happens. Uh, you know, mentioning the odds again, it could really go either way. It's not even money per se, but minus 110 on both athlete uh, over at the DraftKings Sportsbook. We'll see uh, if that will change uh, as we get closer and closer to fight time. But again, a phenomenal fight, uh, to say the least. And this entire card is just awesome. Jessica Andrade taking on Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Curtis Blades opens up the main card, taking on Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And as we mentioned, two titles on the line when Alexander Volkanovsky defends his featherweight crown against Brian Ortega and Valentina Shevchenko in the co-main defense her flyweight title against Lauren Murphy. It is extra rounds here at the Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, part of International Fight Week in Las Vegas. want to remind you that you can tune in live at 7.30 Pacific tonight on UFC Fight Pass and see uh, the ceremony take place. We uh, have uh, the class of 2020 getting inducted tonight. Uh, George St. Pierre going in in the modern era. Uh, Kevin Randleman in the pioneer wing. Uh, in the contributors wing, we will see Mark Ratner. And uh, one more, we got uh, fight wing. It is John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. So uh, make sure you are tuned in again at 7.30 uh, p.m. Pacific time, which uh, by my clock is about 33 minutes away. Uh, we are hanging out here until, uh, well, I don't know how long we're here, Pearl. They just say go, and I just go until we are told to stop. So we'll do that. Uh, again, we are at the uh, edge of the red carpet here uh, inside the uh, theater at Park MGM. Uh, a, a lot going on, too, besides the fight coming up on Saturday. you got the uh, fan experience coming up on Friday. I, I might find my way over there. I don't know. Um, I mean, you can't walk around here too much without getting, like, a photo taken. I see people, like, congratulating you on your last fight. Like, we got some Pearl Gonzalez fans here in Las Vegas. Yeah, everywhere. So It's uh, been, it's, it's, Fight Week is always incredible because there are, there are so many fans that come in all over the world and, and you just get to be a part of it. It, it is, it's, and then you have all the fighters as well that are, that are coming in from all over and um, kind of here at the same time. So it, it's such a great experience. It really is. You, uh, you asked Dustin Poirier what was he wearing? He gave you an answer. What are you wearing? I'm wearing just a dress. Okay. And actually, so this dress I got last night at like 8 p.m., but from Windsor. So it's incredible and it's super like, what's the word? It's like chic. No, no, it's like uh, a it's like not cheap. Not not cheap, chic, like C H I C, cheek. Chic? Chic. Chic. Yeah, whatever. No, it's like uh, affordable. It's very nice. Affordable. 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 Oh, okay. There you go. So right. super cute dresses, affordable. Wear them once. 
boom, done. Are you can ask One me what and I'm wearing? done. What are you wearing, TJ? Well, my wife laid out for me. Wow. So your wife put it together for you? Yeah. That's really awesome. I wish I had that. Did she iron your clothes too for you? No. I, the hotel did. I sent it out. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. I'm thinking. Yeah, I yeah. like it. I got you my look game great. plan. Well, thank your wife because you look great. What I did though, I tied this, this tie by myself. Oh, that's yeah. nice. And you're not even showing it. Well, you know. That's there one thing that mixed martial arts has taught me because I call fights. It's taught me how to tie. A tie. <laughs> hey, that's exciting. Yeah, the first time I called the fight and I needed to wear a tie. Yeah, it was like basically a bow. Like, oh, it, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are we doing here? Because now I'm talking about tying ties. Like, um, I saw George St. Pierre I walk by a little GSP. while ago. That was so cool. He's got hair. Yeah, he looks I'm awesome. Not, he looks so good. Why, I mean, he's already the, like one of the best looking athletes in mixed martial arts, and now he's got to like, he flaunt that he still has a full head of hair. Mm -hmm. What yeah. the hell? And it's blonde. It looks great. Me too. I have, I have blonde hair. Do kinda. you? No, oh my God. I used to. Did you? Yeah. Interesting. I know. It's exciting business. Uh, we got to walk around the Fan Fest a little bit. I don't know what we're going to do. We should walk around the Fan Fest a little bit. Okay. Right now? No, no well, it's, it's Friday, so I, I think it would be early. Okay, okay. But... Uh, yeah, I think we should. Uh, so I have some uh, some fight cards that Joe Martinez has used in the Octagon, and they're really hard to read. He's got, he doesn't have bad handwriting, but he has like a very like individual, unique style to his handwriting. I was thinking about letting people look at these fight cards while we maybe talk to them on Saturday before UFC 266, and then take it away after a minute, and then ask them facts about the fight card, like who was fighting in this fight, what were the judges' names. You know, what, what weight class was it? And if they get like three of five correct, then we'll give them that fight card. And you get some, you know, octagon used memorabilia. I mean, what if they don't give you the card back? No, we'll take it back from them. I oh. mean, what if they just run in the other direction? Yeah. I'll send you after them. Okay. All right. They well, fear then I can't you. wear heels. No. So no, you got to wear like shoe event. running shoes. All right. Okay. So things are changing. Looks like we're going to talk to Mark Radner here in a moment. Oh, that's amazing. Which honestly, like no offense to anybody else here. I kind of been looking forward to talking to Mark the most because this man has been on the inside of the evolution of mixed martial arts closer than anybody else. Again, the UFC is headed back to Madison Square Garden here in a couple of weeks. Uh, something that wouldn't have been happening without the uh, contributions of, of Mark Ratner. Absolutely, and I think that it's it's such a different perspective, and it's a different side of the sport. You know, we do we do have the uh, we're very fortunate to be able to talk to fighters and get their inside experience and and through their fight career and and through their fights and whatnot. But not too often do you get to get you know these officials or these officials who really do play such a significant role in why the sport is even where it is. Um, and what their challenges were like and what they had to go through to overcome their obstacles. And you mentioned, you know, where the sport is. Like, Mark Ratner literally made this sport go all over the world from Russia to Poland to, you know, the, the United Arab Emirates to, uh, you know, again, New York, which was, uh, you know, it doesn't, like, New York doesn't sound like an exotic faraway place, but it was the furthest away place mm -hmm. for so many years in mixed martial arts because you couldn't go there. Right. And, you know, with, without Mark Ratner, the UFC, the world's premier mixed martial arts promotion, doesn't make it into the world's most famous arena. And uh, Madison Square Garden is definitely uh, a place where the UFC belongs because you, you haven't really made it anywhere in entertainment until you've done the garden. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, just to, to think about what obstacles that were 
he's gone through to to get this approved in New York. But right. let's think about countries. Now we're dealing internationally, and and all the places that um, the UFC has gone, and where where's next? You know, and 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 also regulating and, and the current rules and and analyzing them is this the best is this not you know does this work does this not i mean he is a part of all that he's got his hands deep in all of it and and really is the mastermind behind it and you know this is a a topic close to you these commissions that are still new to mixed martial arts still don't totally know everything and they're learning sort of on the fly and i remember i mean when you fought in new york the, the commission had a problem with you fighting for a moment and they're like oh no we're, we're good but like without people like mark ratner a situation like that doesn't necessarily get rectified either yeah, that was crazy. It was crazy. My fun bags got me in trouble. I didn't think you were going to put it that way, but all right. <laughs> I was going to let you say what you wanted to say, but all right. All right. That's why we love you, Pearl. You're uh, honest, straight to the point. I mean, it was it was really intense, but no, they figured it out. I'm sure he had a big part in that and, and um, sorting out what was the, you know, the issue. Right. And, you know, that's the thing, too. Mixed martial arts, you know, when it wasn't necessarily illegal in certain states, it was unregulated, yes. which is honestly, at the end of the day, maybe worse than it being illegal because these promoters were running autonomous. They didn't right. have to. Like, I remember a buddy of mine uh, fought regionally and uh, his opponent didn't make it to weigh in, but he still wanted to fight. So the uh, opponent was to weigh in whenever he got to town and they sent a photo of the scale to my buddy and his opponent weighed one forty five, but there was a colon in the middle and it was a microwave. Oh my gosh, exactly. I mean these are the things that happen that that can happen behind the scenes or making sure blood work gets through and um, you know all these tests that need to be done I mean it's so vital it's so vital in our sport that we don't get to talk about we don't really see because this is everything that happens behind the scenes right and um, my fight actually was the the second fight in the US or in New York yeah for the UFC. Is it so Buffalo? It was still, yes Buffalo oh so it's still very very new in the state um, they were still sorting things out obviously and that, that's the thing too these you know long tenured commissions if they still haven't done mixed martial arts MMA is different than boxing it runs right. with a different rule set it's not you know as easy as just you know a B and C uh, you know compared to the other fights that they've done years in years out these commissions that are, are no stranger to combat sports they're still a big stranger to MMA if they've never done it before absolutely absolutely and um, yeah it was it was such a unique experience do you uh do, i mean obviously you're kind of you know dipping your toe in this side of the sport being a, an analyst did you ever think about you know trying to be part of the the regulatory so like I mean, i'm not saying that you're gonna be a referee or a judge or anything but do, do you ever like want to you know get involved and maybe help shape the future of uh, the rules of mixed martial arts so i actually i took the referees course for illinois i don't know like eight years ago so i actually did like i mean referee wise but no not on this side on media or any of no i had no idea that i would be doing this oh, all right so some things are things are happening here it and is uh, extra rounds at the end of the uh, red carpet here and uh he hasn't you. quite made it over here i'm hoping we're gonna grab him for a few moments and oh, it looks like we are so let me press this button and uh give this man a microphone all right you know him as the uh, former ufc light heavyweight champion it is Johnny Bones Jones, kind enough to give us a few moments here uh, at Extra Rounds. Your fight with Alexander Gustafson going into the fight wing uh, of the UFC Hall of Fame. You know, let's rewind back to UFC 87 when you made your debut in Minneapolis against Andre Guzmao. Obviously, you had hopes and dreams to you know, carve out a spot for yourself in UFC history, but have you surpassed your own expectations yet, John? Um, no. 
No, no, I, uh, I want more. I want so much more. My, my goal is to be the greatest fighter of all time. I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be debatable by the time I'm done. And so I just feel like I'm very grateful for where I am, and uh, I still have to pinch myself when when these great things happen, like a night like tonight. But. Um, but I'm still, I'm still on the hunt for so much more. You know, we, we talk about that GOAT status and, you know, George St. Pierre is going into the Hall of Fame. You know, he's on the short list for a lot of people's, you know, GOAT list. Uh, you yourself are definitely on that list, maybe number one in a lot of people's list. But to really solidify that, you know, you still are writing this story. I mean, talk about the, you know, transformation to the, the heavyweight version of yourself. Like, what should we expect when you enter that heavyweight division? It's been a great, it's been a great transformation. I, I uh, get to eat everything in sight, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I eat a lot of red meat. I've been on the vertical diet for a while. My buddy Stan Neffordane, shout out to you. Matt Wiedemann, my strength coach. Um, so it's been great. It's been a great process. Just eating a ton, learning to love the gym. I've never been a guy to love training. Um, and now now these days you know i can't i can't stand missing a workout and uh i feel like i'm like i don't feel like i'm going up one weight class i feel like i'm going up like three weight classes so it's a lot of work there's a lot that's going into this and i want to do it better than it's ever been seen in mma history we got like uh alistair Overeem was a light heavyweight and then he moved up to heavyweight and he looked so good right so big and so strong but he never quite could get that cardio right um so I just want to be the complete package of, of, of someone who's made this transition, and I'm taking my time to try to do it right. Pearl said she stopped by Albuquerque, saw you train it a little so bit. so good to see you here. Yeah, <laughs> I was so happy. What's going on with the ukulele, though? Apparently, uh, there's some oh, ukulele going down. Yeah, it was amazing. Are you talking about my, my Yeah, he was just playing it, yeah. and it was just so calm and somber, and you were just working and hitting. Yeah. It was one awesome. Of, one of our, our Muay Thai teachers. Uh, he plays the ukulele all the time, and uh, he's a little bit of a hippie. All right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's been playing it around the gym, and he actually smokes cigarettes all the time, too. He's all just right. very oh, different. That's so awesome. It takes all from, kinds. From what you, know? you would see at an MMA school. Yeah, but we love him so much. And, yeah, it's fun. So uh, as far as, you know, uh, your, your foray into the UFC's heavyweight division, is there a timeline? Do you know when, when this is going to get put to paper and you're going to get in there? So I'm hearing that, that Francis and Cyril Gain are going to fight each other sometime in January. So I'm predicting that I'll maybe fight towards the end of the second quarter of next year. Okay. Um, you know, we, we saw George St. Pierre you know, move up to middleweight, and, and George really took that time to settle into his, his middleweight mold. Uh, do, do you feel like you're going to know everything you need to know about yourself as a heavyweight by that time? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely taking my time and doing it right. Um, you know, we, right now the way we're doing it is like we'll, we'll gain a few pounds, we'll test ourselves, we'll see where my speed, my jumps are, well, my weights are, my weightlifting numbers are. And then uh, if any of them have suffered, we'll, like, we'll work to get those numbers back up before we start gaining weight again. So right now, I'm at 255 pounds, I'm pretty leaned out, my cardio's at a high place, my ability to jump far, uh, boxing, endurance, everything's just there. And, uh, and I won't get any heavier until I feel like I can carry that athleticism to the next uh, category in weight. The goal is to get up to 270, and uh, wow. so it's, it's going to take me a long time. I really want to do it right, though. So you plan on having a cut when you're at, you're at heavyweight? Yeah, I want to try to cut. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I want Francis to look up at me and just be like, whoa, it's a lot of black men. And that's what I'm going to be. I mean, uh, John Jones cutting to 265 <laughs> is a terrifying, terrifying. Uh, thought. Yeah, yeah. John, I have a question for you. I want to kind of go back to the Gustafsson fight. Was this fight, when you had this fight happen, did it change or, you know, just 
change your game plan in, in the training or did it, did it force you to go back home and kind of look at the drawing board and and just change up some things in your in your in your training you're talking about the first fight yes the first fight fighting against them that they have to change things to prepare for them? Yeah, did you go back to the drawing board and be like, you know, uh, this is up until this point, this has worked, I need to switch up my game plan or switch up my, no? No, that first fight, I really didn't respect him the way that I should have. You know, everyone, I, just, I looked at Gustafson as like a European, European version of myself. Um, and I was just, I just felt like he was like a, like a watered down version of myself. And so I didn't really give him the respect that he deserved and uh, and I paid for that dearly. I didn't hire any special training partners. I didn't do anything different. I partied a lot leading up to that fight, um, and I paid dearly. Second fight was completely different. Right. Right. I, I flew in. Uh, I had a Russian boxer come in, a guy named Leo, um, now who just turned a professional boxer. I uh, I worked on my footwork. I worked on distance. I had a very strong game plan. I most importantly respected Alexander Gustafsson. And uh, you saw the difference in performance. We were we were talking a little bit about that, and you know, you're the youngest UFC champion in history. You know, uh, realizing a success that most can only dream of before the age of 25. Yeah. Was it hard to manage that? Because you know, you're not only growing as a fighter, but also just as a man and a human being at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I'm sure you guys know some of the stories. Right. Yeah, it was pretty wild, man. Like being. Uh, being 10 years younger and and just uh, and just like being thrown you know money and recognition and things like that I definitely didn't do well with it I, I had way too much fun right uh, but uh, I'm grateful to be here now today still here so many years Incredible. later got my you know maturity and just in my, in my body and in my life and, and uh, I'm excited for like this next chapter like i feel like i got a whole new career coming and uh it's gonna it's gonna be really cool i'm still young enough to do some great things and it's gonna be really cool still on top johnny bones jones i have up one to the heavyweight question. division and pearl gonzalez doesn't care that people are saying let so, john jones go so pearl Pierre's like yeah <laughs> exactly i'm like, like i got nah. one more question nah. john i mean you are this incredible athlete the goat one of the goats in our sport You've been in the sport since a, as for a young age. You've been in it for such a long time. What advice, what what can you give the, the kids, the future generation that are looking to come into the sport? Even through all of your adversity, all of your challenges, you're still here and one of the greatest ever. Can you give them something, you know, something inspiring or, or something to look up to and look forward to? Yeah, just just never quit. Just be resilient. You know, life life is uh, life is gonna have its ups and downs and it's gonna be really important that you just uh, look at some of the challenges as great opportunities to rise and gain new experience. Um, just never quit. Always believe in yourself. Um, me personally, um, I have a relationship with God, and I really think that helps ground me in a lot of situations. I'm grateful for that. And uh, as a martial artist, as far as like in the gym, take lots of notes. Take lots of notes. Write down everything. There's so many different martial arts moves and different ways of thinking about approaching fights and things like that. And you won't remember it all. Uh, so try to write down as much as you can. I find myself to this day, I'll go back in some of my notebooks that are years old. Uh, yeah, years old. And I'll read the way that I was thinking wow. about fighting at the time. And it's just completely different than what the guy that I am today. And uh, I think it's just important to be able to draw from yourself uh, from the past and see how you were thinking different and 
how you think now. So just write everything down. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pearl. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. One of the best to ever do it, John Jones. Thanks for uh, stopping by. And if we kept you too long, it's Pearl's fault. Yeah. So. Good job, Pearl. Thanks, Pearl. I already, we, I, so I had Bosch teach me how to deal with him if he got into. Just hit him with a headbutt. No, no. He said to hit him with this in the head and uh -huh. then I knee him in the balls. In the ball. I knew something with the balls were coming. <laughs> it was from balls. So that's right now my uh, thing with him if he pisses me off. This guy you know, looks yeah. like he may like it. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> Get out of here, John. Jesus. Johnny Bones Jones. Oh. Kind enough to join us here on Extra Round. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. There he is. Uh, one of the greatest to ever do it again. Uh, he's uh, getting his fight inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame and, and truly one of the best to do it. Looking at the resume, 26-1 and one with one no contest. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Dang. Put it on blast here oh, by John Jones. Much. Oh my goodness! Uh, what, what what more is there to do? Is there is there anything more to do? <laughs> Can we go home? Man, I mean, for, first uh, Forrest told me I had bad personal hygiene. <laughs> Boss is trying to tell Pearl how to beat me up, and now John Jones is saying that I might be into that sort of thing. Ah, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to be back coming up on Saturday live from inside T-Mobile Arena before UFC 266. We'll break down the card. I'm going to try to get Pearl to come out to the fan experience here on Friday. And uh, yeah, just put in work, doing extra rounds. It's fun, right? It's been amazing. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, what, a, what an experience to be around all of these legends and people that really shaped our sport. It is such an honor. Yep. And uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony live 15 minutes from right now on UFC Fight Pass. Make sure you tune in 7.30 p.m. Pacific here on the West Coast, 10.30 uh, on the East. It is presented by Toyo Tires. I want to thank everyone for stopping by from Boss Rudin to Dustin Poirier to John Jones and, and Forrest Griffin. Appreciate you tuning in live on Twitch and Facebook. If you missed any part of this broadcast, you can check it out right now on UFC Fight Passes. We are archived. And if you prefer the audio version, download it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all the rest. We will see you coming up Saturday. For Pearl Gonzalez, I'm TJ DeSantis. Thanks for going a few extra rounds right here on UFC Fight Pass. This concludes our live broadcast of Extra Rounds. Are we still on the air? Watch the archive anytime on UFC Fight Pass or Facebook.com slash UFC Fight Pass. You can also listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.